Welcome to the Commissioner Rapper Show. We're finally here, week 15. It's time for the power rankings in just a second. My good friend, the handsome Devin Milligan, will be joining me to talk all about For the Fame Fantasy Baseball, the trade deadline, which is approaching quickly. Today, as you're listening to this, the trade deadline is at, what, 2 o'clock today? So there's going to be a lot of refreshing on Twitter and seeing if Juan Soto's traded, Shohei Otani's traded, or if the Mets and the Yankees make any moves. But for first and foremost, we need to talk about For the Fame, power rankings, and everything that's been going on. It's been a while since we've been here. We're about to get into it. It's a long episode I have in front of me, so stay tuned. Commission Wrap-Up Show is next. All right, as mentioned in the introduction, I am joined by Mr. Handsome himself, Devin Milligan. What's going on, man? Week 15, we're finally here for the power rankings. I know, it feels like it's been longer than five weeks this time around, probably because that week and a half matchup was uh, was rough. <laughs> It's crazy. This season feels like it's going much faster than most. And, you know, it feels like it should be going much longer for me since my team has been out of it since about like six, seven weeks ago. But, you know, ever involved, still trying to like put the pieces together for 2023. But it's a testament to this league where like everyone is so close at the top of the standings. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes. And this is the most exciting part. I mean, we got uh, MLB trade deadline tomorrow. We got our trade deadline and I don't know, about a, a little bit over a week, I guess. So, uh, We'll see what happens here. So you mentioned the trade deadline, which will be tomorrow. Uh, let's get right into the trades that happened today. And there were two big trades and some small trades that happened. Uh, I guess let's get into the big one that most people listening are concerned with. It's the Yankees acquiring Frankie Montes and Lou Trevino from the Oakland Athletics for a combination of the left-handed pitching prospect, J.P. Sears, left-handed pitching prospect, Ken Waldachuk, Luis Medina, who also is a right-handed pitcher, and then second baseman, Cooper Bowman. So. This trade went down middle of the day. What was your initial thoughts on, I guess, the Yankees and what they were able to pull off? thought it was exactly what they needed. I mean, they needed a bona fide kind of like number two or three guy who at his best has ace-like stuff. Um, I think the only worry with Montas is if he's actually healthy, but he's, he's looked fine since he came back from the IL stint. And you get Trevino thrown in there, and they could definitely use it. They needed bullpen help, and they get him and the kid from the Cubs today. Um, and that that's a nice little haul in a very little amount of time. I don't think they gave up nothing. I think Yankee fans were excited that, you know, some of those top names like Dominguez and obviously Volpe and um, who was the other, uh, Peraza, uh, have not been let go yet. But, I mean, Waldachuk is a guy that, you know, a lot of people have been talking about as someone who could help them at some point relatively soon. So I, I think they what they gave up was appropriate, and I think what they got back was great for them. Yeah, I mean – we always talk about you have to give up something to get something, not only with For the Fame, but also in the real MLB. But my comparison of the trade and how can you not compare because the Yankees were all in on Luis Castillo. Just looking at what the Mariners gave up, three of their top five prospects in order to get Luis Castillo. And the difference between both pitchers, it's not that it's not that big. And I think Castillo has had more of a track record of being an ace. But what I really like about Montes is pitching in the ALS. His numbers against the Astros have been pretty impressive. He has experience in the postseason, even though limited. Castillo has only had one playoff start. I mean, you put next both of them next to each other. I feel like Montes is the better option. And I can't imagine giving up three of your top five prospects for the Yankees to get Castillo. I feel really good about this move moving into October. And, and Trevino, too, helps the bullpen out immensely, as you mentioned. Yeah, I feel like um, your point about him having plenty of experience at the Astros is not one I thought of. And that's that's big because those are the guys that are going to have to get past more than likely. Um, with Montas, I think it's going to be, 
I think of Sonny Gray coming over from Oakland to the Yankees years ago. And that's that's my question. Other than the health thing, it's like, all right, how is he going to adjust to New York? Obviously, sink or swim here. We've seen Joey Gallo not be able to perform here and plenty of other uh, players in the past. Um, but plenty of players have risen to the occasion as well. So if, if Montas can just do what he's done so far and not try to pitch over his head, um, I think the Yanks are in business for sure. I think the difference between Montas and the Sonny Gray deal is because when Sonny Gray was acquired, they desperately needed an ace-like pitcher. And I think Montas is going to slide in to be the four or five. And if he could find that role there and just eat up innings there and then come up clutch in big spots against the Astros in a familiar spot for him, that's all you can ask for. And I think Trevino is going to wind up being the more, uh, I guess, valuable asset coming out of the bullpen because, as you mentioned, the bullpen's kind of beat up at this point, especially uh, losing – Michael King, that was a huge loss to them. So adding some depth to the bullpen was much needed. And it's a great arm, too. It's not just depth at this point. He's a top-of-the-line, you know, end-of-the-game reliever. It doesn't have to be a closer. Obviously, he doesn't have that job sewn up. But you toss him out there in the sixth inning in a tough spot. I mean, I'm here for that. Yeah, he can kind of do whatever you want. Like, if, God forbid, um, Holmes is continuing to struggle a bit and Chapman hasn't gotten his stuff back. He can throw him in there. He has closing experience. So it's just another option. So I, I think that's uh, that's what they needed. Do you think they're done? I do not think they're done. I think they're it's, at this point, it's an arms race and Cashman's never going to do something reactionary. But there are a lot of pieces left in there. And you mentioned Volpe. We talked about Dominguez, who they don't want to move, but they have big pieces that they could fire off. Uh, and I don't know if there's a piece out there that'd be willing to give up something, but you never know. Like you look at the Soto stuff, like if Soto becomes available, uh, for the price that they want. And I know Cashman's not going to pull the trigger unless Soto is willing to stay there. And there's a lot of pieces that could fall there where if you sign Soto and give up four, I mean, the expectations is four or five, your top prospects, maybe five of them, you have to expect to sign him. And that may be a domino that falls where it decides already for you. You can't keep both Soto and Judge. I mean, unless you can. I don't know if that's possible. I, I doubt it. I don't – just how they've operated the last couple of years, I would assume that's not possible. But I don't know. Who, who knows? Maybe Cashman's just been holding out for the right guys. I mean, the thing is, like, you're paying Cole $35 million a year, and then on top of it, you have to pay Judge somewhat similar to Trout numbers or a little bit under, and then Soto's going to want $50 million a year. For the three of those players, and I know that they print money at Yankee Stadium with the merchandise and the the, the gate and all of that, and I understand that. But at some point, there's got to be a limit to what you're paying just three guys. There's got to be some limit to it. George would say no, but I think we would have to say yes. Yeah, I, th- I think he's going to draw the line somewhere. All right, so speaking of relievers, we saw another big one drop here, and I didn't even know he was on the market. And he's had some heat in the locker room uh, with all the history that he had in Milwaukee. And this was Josh Hader going to San Diego for a combination of Taylor Rogers, Dillison Lamette, Robert Gasser, and Astori Ruiz. So the two big pieces, obviously, are Taylor Rogers, who is a pretty good reliever himself. He's been a pretty quality closer for the Padres all year. Dillison Lamette, he's been oft injured. We always talk about him as what if, you know, a big piece there. But, you know, essentially swapping Hader for Rogers. do you think this puts San Diego over as, you know, a big piece or do you think it's just an offset where it's like they're, they're exactly the same. You look at their numbers. Taylor Rogers has almost been better than Hater this year. Yeah. San Diego has become that team the last couple of years where I'm almost annoyed by like every time they get a new star and they're not 
nearly the angels where like stars kind of go to die and like just kind of not be seen again. They're better than that, but they have still underperformed the last couple of years or disappointed with all the names they have. And obviously this year it's partly with Tatis out, but like even like, you know, like Snell goes there and he's a shell of himself out of nowhere. And he has been um, Tatis can't stay healthy. Manny's been great. He's been everything as advertised that they wanted and they thought they were getting. So it's one of those things where it's like, are you getting the dominant Josh Hader or is he kind of going to be like, like he's looked the last month or so. Um, I think if he is the Josh Hader we've gotten used to, it's a plus for them. Uh, I think if he's anything below that, it's kind of a, you know, same, same as they've been just with a different guy. I think this is a good move for Milwaukee. Like I said, I think Rogers and Hader pretty much offset each other, each other and Milwaukee got a decent package of some players for depth. And Lamette has always been that guy, as I just mentioned before, He's been hurt. He's had, I think, Tommy John surgery two years ago. He's missed a significant amount of time, but when he's out there, he's nasty. I mean, he's always that guy that we've been picking up on the waiver wire, drafting late in the league to see if he'd be that guy. But I like this move from him, especially with kind of the the animosity that was with Hayter a couple of years ago. You know that's sort of brewing under the undersurface with some of the players on their roster, and now it's someone else's problem. I'm sure, yeah. I, I always was interested in how that kind of just went away. Like, yeah. Uh, you know there was more to that, and uh, some things probably lasted with other guys in that clubhouse uh, just left unspoken. So don't want to spend too much time on the next trade. This You mentioned the Yankees made another depth piece for the bullpen. They did acquire Hayden Wazenski from the Cubs, who's been a nice piece for them. And they, I'm sorry, they, they gave up Hayden Wazenski for Scott Efros. So, uh, you know, just a depth piece at this point, exchanging depth pieces in Chicago, obviously going in a different direction than the Yankees. So the Yankees are gearing up. The Cubs are starting to just look to the future, and you know we'll see where that goes. Another deal that we had here, the Nats gave up uh, Adrianza, an infielder, a depth infielder for Trey Harris to the Nats. So uh, that's another little small deal I want to mention here. I mentioned off-air to you that uh, Tampa Bay acquired right-handed pitcher Gavin Clevenger, and the Dodgers acquired Herman Tapia, depth outfielder as well. Big, Another big trade, and two of them went down. Uh, again, middle of the day, Houston acquired Trey Mancini and Jaden Murray in a three-way deal with Baltimore acquiring uh, right-hand pitcher Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott, and Tampa Bay got Jose Siri out of this. So obviously biggest name in here is Trey Mancini. He's been kind of a nice piece for Baltimore, a nice little surprise. Uh, Baltimore team has been offensively impressive, and Trey Mancini a big part of that. Man, I kind of like this deal for Houston. I love what Houston did today. I mean – they don't have a ton of weaknesses, um, but the one thing people have been saying about them that I think is true is they're not as good of an offensive team as they've been in the past. And two of their weaknesses, I mean, they were getting nothing from catcher, the catching position. They get Vasquez from the Red Sox. I was actually surprised the Red Sox gave Vasquez. I know he was his name was out there, but it's so hard to get a decent offensive catcher, and he is easily top 10 offensive catcher the last few years. Um, I thought maybe they'd try to re-sign the guy, like even though they're not probably not going anywhere this year. So that that surprised me. I think that's big for the the Astros. And then um, the Mancini thing as well, because Guriel has just not been the same guy this year. So you can plug Mancini in there at first base, possibly make Guriel more of a bench guy or just play him against certain pitchers. I think it's great. I do wonder when I see these guys go to the Astros and if they know they're truly rental players, I wonder how guys like that feel about going to Houston, like being a rental player 
for like the evil cheaters. Like, I wonder if sometimes guys that go there, there that have a little bit of disdain for that team and know that they're only going to be there for a couple of months. I know they're professionals, but I wonder if there's any piece of them that are not really fully 100% into it. I know they want to win a world series, but it's, I don't know. They're, they're human too. Yeah, it's a good point. I think Trey Mancini has to be excited no matter where he's going. You're leaving Baltimore who had no chance of making the playoffs, even though I mentioned they were surprisingly competitive for middle part of the year and they're starting to drift back down the standings. But as I mentioned with Frankie Montes, uh, Trey Mancini is very used to against Yankee pitching. So I feel like it was another domino move. I, I think we're gearing up for that Astros and, and Yankees ALCS. I think it's inevitable at this point, barring anything crazy. They're the two best teams in the American League. And I think it's not an accident that Houston acquired Christian Vasquez and Trey Mancini from two ALEs rivals who are very familiar with Garrett Cole and everything the Yankees throw out there. So Mancini hits the Yankees well as well. So I think this is an arms race between the two of them. And I think they're on a collision course that it's going to be a crazy series. I love Trey Mancini. It's going to be tough for me to watch him in that uniform. Uh, although, you know, has been in the ALEs for an extended period of time. Uh, there's something about playing in that Houston uniform that makes me just t- take it to the next level but can't help but root for the guy trey mancini he over he has overcome a lot to be in the spot he is he sure has i mean it's kind of heartbreaking like you know you have the extra wild cards this year and the orioles are only so like i don't know around three games out of it after making this run you know it would have been nice to see them kind of hang on to the guy uh he's obviously the heart of the team and like just see see maybe if they can squeak in there and be like the best story in baseball you know, like no one thinks they're going to, you know, win a playoff series more than likely. But, like, I don't know. It's kind of sad to see them have that hot streak and then immediately say, like, all right, we're still going to be realists here and uh, sell the pieces that we can sell. But I get it. Like, they're still kind of finishing their rebuild and if they can get some more young pieces, get some more young pieces. But um, I, I think it was, it was I think it was a solid move for the Astros, no doubt. Yeah, no one wants to be, you know – held there um, holding the bag. And I think Trey right. Mancini, you know, the writing was on the wall for the Orioles, but it makes me believe you mentioned before, like you can get hot and make a run. I mean, I think about the 2007 Rockies, they had no business go making a world series run. And I'm not saying the Orioles were getting past the Astros and the Yankees, but it's baseball, man. Think crazy things happen. If you start to get high, look at Seattle this year. It's just a momentum thing. Um, but I think, I think all the American league executives recognize, as I keep mentioning, the Astros and the Yankees are on a collision course. Nobody stands a chance. It's like, why even bother at this point? Let's all gear up for next year uh, when Judge isn't, you know, becoming Barry Bonds on uh, taking Barry Bonds Space Jam juice. Like, it's 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 insane this year. So I think, you know, the Baltimore, they're going to take what they learned and they're going to gear up for next year. They got a decent return. I mean, the fact that they got two pitchers that they desperately need pitching, we'll see if those guys turn out to be anything. Yeah, it's a two-team race. So they, I guess they had to do it. So Boston acquired Tommy Pham from the Reds, uh, the return to be determined. Weird move here. Tommy Pham has been sort of a lightning rod in the worst way possible this year with all that fantasy football crap. But I don't know what direction Boston's going. And I mean, they got rid of Christian Vasquez. Tommy Pham's kind of a win now move because I don't think it's a piece for the future. It was a bizarre kind of couple hours where they moved Vasquez, who, by the way, we didn't even touch on that Vasquez learned he was traded while being interviewed. And that was kind of heart-wrenching to watch because yeah. although these guys make millions of dollars and you know it's whatever they're still human and for them to, him to learn in that way that kind of hits home a little bit it's like damn you know that's I'm where good. i when i saw his face that's where i had it started having that thought uh that i mentioned a minute ago about like i wonder if there's any players that get you know traded there and are kind of like not into it 
Um, the look on his face was like, you know, the Red Sox have some history with the Astros too, like from those years where, you know, it was discovered that they were not playing necessarily fairly, even though the Red Sox may not have been either. But um, I, I saw that look on his face and it was just, it did not look like he uh, really wanted to go, at least there. I mean, paired with another move that they made here, tearing stuff down, they got rid of Jake Diekman, who, you know, has been a big piece of their bullpen. Acquired Reese McGuire from the Chicago White Sox. So immediately placed Christian Vasquez with a lotto ticket worth of a catcher. And you mentioned before, catchers are not something easy to come by. And Christian Vasquez has been pretty solid for them, not only offensively, but defensively as well. So weird move, weird day for the Red Sox. It's a wait and see approach at this point. Obviously, it's these these moves are not going to be effective in 2022. I think we have to see down the line where this helps them. But the Tommy Pham thing just it depends what they gave up. It just boggles the mind. Why would you even go out to get Tommy Pham? It's bizarre. super strange. I saw Joel Sherman right after that trade went down, like saying, I guess uh, it seems like the Red Sox are trying to play this weird thing where they're kind of selling, but not giving up on the season completely, trying to squeak in there. And it's ah, again with the, with the Astros and Yankees there, it's kind of like either get in or get out, like either try exactly. to load up. And, you know, you know you're not going to catch the Yankees in the division, but get in there and compete. Like, anything can happen in the playoffs. Or, you know, take both feet out of the pool. Don't leave one in. Um, I guess tomorrow will show their hand because, I mean, who knows? Maybe they they got fam because someone they're talking to said, like, you know, get this guy and True. send That's him to point. us later. And they have a guy like Nathan Avaldi who, you know, finally tonight was the first time he pitched well since he came back from the I.L., um, he could be on the move. Obviously, J.D. Martinez is the big name. So I think if you see one or both of those guys go tomorrow, then we'll know, like, all right, no, they're they're completely selling and then moving towards the future. So the other move that happened uh, today was between two bottom feeder teams. The Royals acquired Luke Weaver from the Diamondbacks, and Diamondbacks uh, acquired Emmanuel Rivera. So not a huge uh, needle-moving move, but there are some needle-moving things on the horizon here, and if you follow MLB Trade Rumors, it's a great follow the website. There is not finalized yet as of 9 p.m. Eastern. The Cardinals were finalizing the deal for Jose Quintana. Obviously, the best years are behind Jose Quintana. He's been, you know, passed around a little bit since his, his stellar years. Uh, the Padres, I mean, I'm sorry, the Pirates were going to be moving uh, away from him. He's, you know, St. Louis has just been on the hunt for additions for their starting rotation. Uh, they're just trying to find another piece. They obviously were in on Frankie Montes. Uh, they were the primary landing spot from the Yankees. weren't going to get him, obviously because the Mariners landed Luis Castillo. So once the A's dealt Montes to the Yankees, it seemed like the Cardinals pivoted to a lower cost veteran stabilizer, the back of the rotation. I mean, we know that Quintana is no longer the upper mid rotation arm that he was at his peak. I mean, he was pretty solid where he was there. And I think was it 2012. Um, the kind of pitcher that you would want starting a playoff game. But we know St. Louis can work people out and figure out a way to get them to be better. Look at Miles Mikolas. So maybe they have some magic in there for Quintana that he can pitch some big innings down the stretch for St. Louis. Yeah, I, I think they were desperate to add to the pitching staff one way or another. I saw someone say earlier, some people think they're kind of being, you know, they're kind of frozen right now with like, they have plenty of very good prospects, including a guy like Jordan Walker and some others, and even some young guys on the team that they could move like a, a Gorman. Um, uh, there's a few of them on there. E even a uh, Matthew Labrador, as we call him. I don't even know if he's with the major league team right now. He's been up and down. They've got plenty to move, but some people think that they're unfor like They can't really do anything right now because they're legitimately in the Juan Soto hunt. 
right. they need these high prospects that they could move elsewhere. They need to hold on to them because they'll they'll obviously need them uh, to uh, send to uh, Washington if they want Soto. I know, like last week, they said San Diego is the the leader in the clubhouse, but it, it sounds like the Cardinals may actually be at this point. So. Um, Which would be the worst move possible for anyone involved. Like, I don't need him going to St. Louis. It's the most bo- it's the boring landing spot, just as boring as Washington. I would love to see him go anywhere else. Like, truly, I, I want to see him either go to the Mets, the Yankees. I want to see him get out there. It's good for baseball to have one of the best players, if not the best player in baseball, go to a market that can need it. Like, St. Louis, it's sort of a... <coughs> I, I just I can't see it being a good landing spot for baseball. I think they want him to go to L.A. or New York. They, he, he needs to go there. I kind of agree agree with you, but like kind of like I mentioned before, I'm kind of tired of so many of these big names going to San Diego or the Dodgers. I feel like if we took like the top 20 players that you know moved teams in the last few years, I guarantee you over 50 percent of them would be Dodgers, Padres. Like it's just. I feel like so many of them have ended up there. And part of it for me, even though it's a like, bigger market, it's like they're West Coast teams. So, like, you don't see them. They're not on the TV till like, 10-10. So, uh, that, that's my thought. I don't I don't really want to see them there either. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a dark horse for them is the Texas Rangers. They're, like, willing to go all in to put, you know, some depth behind that. And you look at Corey Seager. Um, also, obviously, uh, him being the off-season, uh, off-season signing for them. And also, what's his name from? Simeon. Yeah, Marcus Semien as well. So add the three of those in the middle of that lineup. And I keep mentioning on the podcast every week, once the weather heats up, like if they can get pitching, because you have to understand that people have to pitch in that ballpark too. So like, yeah, the offense kicks up for them. That means, you know, their pitchings have a really hard time keeping the ball in the ballpark. But they can get just mediocre pitching. I think that lineup has potential to be absolutely explosive. And they're not too far away. And I think they have to be watching the Astros and be like, God damn. We once had this mark in 2010. We went to back-to-back World Series. We couldn't close the deal, and the Astros just took over. So they not only infringed on the market, but now they're in the AL as well. So they're like, God damn, we used to have this on lock here, and now like Houston, you're probably seeing Houston flags flying everywhere in Arlington, and they're probably pissed about it. Like Soto would make a big difference selling jerseys, all that. They're all in the win uh, in the next couple of years. That would be cool. I wouldn't mind that. I, I'm I'm afraid it's actually going to end up being the Dodgers just because they have that – those two teams have that prior relationship from last year with the uh, Scherzer-Trey Turner deal. Um, and the Dodgers still somehow have so many high prospects. Like you think of teams like that that have a bunch of star players as teams that don't really have – you know, eventually their farm system gets like kind of, you know, barren. But somehow they've been able to do both, where their major league team has been full of stars for years, and they just continue to have plenty of top 100 prospects. Like they have plenty to give the Nationals. Um, I, I kind of think that's going to be the news tomorrow. Damn. So the Cardinals, uh, just to kind of give you a, a scope of what their rotation looks like now, they got Adam Wainwright at the top, Dakota Hudson, Miles Mikolas, Andre Palante, who's just joined them. He's a rookie. And Matthew Libertor is the depth option. I'm not sure he's in AAA right now or just like hanging out in the bullpen, but he's been on and off the active roster all year. Palante, meanwhile, has spent a good chunk of the season in the bullpen. So he's gotten his shot as the fifth starter. He might be bumped for Quintana. Uh, I don't see anyone else getting bumped. Maybe they go to a six-man rotation or maybe they just look to get another rotation pickup. It's a low-risk move for Quintana. It's not like they gave up a whole bunch for him. I mean, if you're the Cardinals, I would – if, if the Soto thing doesn't happen tomorrow, say by 
two o'clock. I would pick up the phone and call the Angels and talk to him about Noah Syndergaard and a guy who has playoff experience. I know he hasn't been the star he used to be, but he hasn't been bad. Um, and I would call the Red Sox and ask about Nate Evaldi, another guy who's actually been very, very good in the postseason. But also, if you're willing to get rid of the package you're willing to get rid of for Soto, why not reach out to the Angels and reach out for Otani? Because clearly, well, apparently that door's closed today. That's what they said that the Angels have made. But up I their mean, minds. if you give them a, if you give them an offer, they can't refuse. And I don't see Otani resigning with the Angels. I don't think they can do it. I think because I, I saw this comparison, it was very interesting to me. Just looking at Otani in two different uh, boxes, right? So you have him as a pitcher. Comparison would be Luis Castillo. So look at what Luis Castillo netted uh, for the Mariners to get him. And then for offensively, he's compared to Matt Olson. And think about what it would take to, to pry Matt Olson from the Braves. So you combine both those players. What is the package that would be serviceable? I saw some options and some uh, like estimates of what it could look like. I don't know if there's anything out there. But if the Angels are left holding that bag and they're not re-signing him when all this is all said and done, as an Angel fan, if there are any of you guys are out there, you'd have to be upset about this because – no matter what they do, no matter what they have on top of this, you almost have to just pull the plug and figure out a way to just bottom the shit out and start. Cause no matter what they do, they're not competitive. Like they try to add pitching and depth pitching. They got Noah Syndergaard. Nothing works out for them. So it's just like, fuck it. Let's completely revamp what we're doing. Get rid of Otani, trade trout, just do everything and get, get it over with. Yeah. I think Otani's worth too much in like sponsorships for them to give up before his last contract year. So I think it'll, they'll run it back one more time next year. I think next year will be their last stand in that manner where if we get to this point in the season again and they've shit the bed again, then it's time to blow it up completely, uh, knowing that you're not going to resign Otani. And I do agree with you. Like if you're if Once you trade Otani, you look to trade Mike Trout as well and just get an insane amount of prospects kind of do what the Astros did back in, you know, whatever it was after 2010 or something like that. And the Cubs and all those teams who just sold and were terrible for a few years and then won World Series. Uh, but I think with those names, they have to run it back. I think it'd be a public relations nightmare for them to not at least give it one more shot. But you're taking the leverage off the table because now you can't get the biggest package you could get for Otani when it's he you you know is a free agent. So people are going to be willing to give up a lot for Otani, say tomorrow, if right. you put it out there because you have control all of next year and they have all year to figure out with his agent how can we get this to work. Meanwhile, if you if you trade him on his free agent deal, like you have him as a service rental player, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of value to trading Otani now. And I know people don't want to hear that because they name value and you mentioned all the marketing sponsorship because. His value is not even on the field anymore. It's off the field because of what he brings to the game. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, like they close up the shop at Angel Stadium every October. Like they have not been competitive in that way. I think they had that playoff series in that year. The Royals went in 2015. Like I think that was the last time they made the playoffs. So it's insane to me. Like what good is it to have two franchise players, two transcendent stars, and you're not even competitive? Like what? Like it's got to be a different issue. Like maybe get rid of the scout, get rid of the coaches. Like, I don't know what's going on there, but it's just, it's embarrassing at this point. Like, how do you not luck into one time, get into the playoffs? Yeah, they stink. And the weird thing though, is the pitching. <laughs> like the, they do. It's just, the pitching has been better this year. They're like, when you look at the names on the staff, you're like, Oh, they're not that bad. You got Otani pitching. Syndergaard's been serviceable. Patrick Sandoval, like, you know, he's on my team. So I know him well at his best. He's 
very, very good. And like he's at least going to give you five decent innings most times. Um, Reed Detmers has had his moments, and since he's come back from AAA, he's been an absolute stud, like the stud that he was in AAA uh, for all that time. It's like he's finally brought it up to the major leagues. Um, so you look up and down, and even Michael Lorenzen before he got hurt wasn't bad at all. So like usually you can blame it completely on the pitching staff, but I don't know with them. Um, interesting one just came across uh, the screen here. Two playoff teams made a interesting trade. So the Astros got the relief pitcher Will Smith from Atlanta oh, wow. uh, in, in exchange for Jake Odorizzi. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean I would see Will Smith has been more, you know, but again Odorizzi always has that that ace potential. He just never can tap into it. Right. Um, I thought he would turn it around when he got signed to Houston last year because I thought, you know, because they turn pitchers around because of whatever they do. But now that you can't use the sticky stuff, maybe they can't fig- figure it out anymore. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing, uh, the Dodgers are interested in Pablo Lopez. And I think earlier in the week, the Marlins were dismissing calls. Uh, this is Craig Mish of the Miami Herald, the famous guy we talked about that was like all angry when I was talking about the All-Star game about mm. Sandy not starting the All-Star game. Craig Mish was essentially crying uh, on like an interview, like a radio interview about it. So he feels passionate about the Miami Marlins. He's the one of like 10 people in the world that feel, and most of them are related to people, some of the owners of the, the Marlins. Yeah. Uh, so allegedly the aggressive Dodgers have reached out to him. So Jack Harris, who covers the Dodgers reports that Lopez is among the many players. The Dodgers have discussed as tomorrow's trade deadline. I think you mentioned before the Juan Soto thing. I think that plays a huge part in all yeah. this. And once that door is closed, I think the Dodgers will just pull the plug on that and, and, make the moves on all these guys. And Pablo Lopez is a huge get. Uh, I mean, if the Marlins do move him, it's very likely they're going to be in full rebuild mode, which is again, crazy to me because they had all this talent that was ready to go. I mean, we talk about, I mean, Rogers this year, like fantasy wise has been an embarrassment. He was supposed to take the next step. Yeah. And I feel very personally affected by Sixto Sanchez. Like all where these is guys. He? <laughs> yeah. Where is he? He's, I think off, he's in yeah. the minors right now. So, I mean, we know that Lopez has the rotator cuff uh, strain that was effective in 2021. He was the guy I think people thought was going to be the Sandy guy. I mean, we all probably looked at Sandy as like, all right, Sandy has put everything together, but Pablo Lopez feels like he had more of the poise to be that ace of the staff where all these other guys would be complimentary pieces. But Sandy, similar to when DeGrom emerges, the, the ace of the Mets, he wasn't supposed to be the guy, but like he was undeniable. Yeah, I mean, Lopez started the season kind of like that guy, and he's faded a little bit here. Um, I mean, he got crushed by the Mets yesterday. Um, But you get put in a playoff race suddenly on the Dodgers surrounded by all these studs. You can, I think you're all of a sudden motivated to find it again. Like, you know, he's kind of wasting away down there. So, but if you're the Marlins, it's kind of like, why not deal him and get some other pieces? Because the one thing you're not short on is pitching. You have more pitching coming up whether, you know, some guys are, you know, Edward Cabrera should be back in a week or two. And he's shown that when he can actually stay healthy and in the rotation, he's capable of striking out the, uh, the whole ballpark. Um, and other, you know, Max Meyer is going to be gone for a while now, unfortunately, but you got plenty of other guys that aren't that far away that, you know, pitching is not their problem as far as uh, it's really just health and then keeping offensive players when they have them. Um, so if they could get a couple offensive young offensive pieces for Pablo Lopez from the Dodgers. Why not? So we got the return that the pirates got from the Cardinals for uh, Jose Quintana. It's Johan Oviati or Oviedo, however you say mm-hmm. his name and the, the prospect Malcolm Nunez. So that's reported by 
Francis Romano, the Pirates beat writer. So uh, St. Louis is also going to be getting Chris Stratton from Pittsburgh as well. So those are the two guys coming back again, depth pieces for them. And I think, we, you know, similar to what Houston was a few years back, they find ways to turn these pitchers into whatever they were and turn back the clock. I mean, Mikolas has been a, a revelation. Adam Wainwright should have been retired by now. He continues to go out there and give depth. And I mean, it's amazing what he's doing. So something going right there. I would be, I would be shocked if I was, uh, um, Quintana wasn't at least serviceable for them going into the postseason. So they're doing something right there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the um, nostalgia factor works for the Cardinals. Like if they make enough trades here and acquire enough new pieces, does Albert Pujols still have a roster spot? Because, I mean, that kind of that's kind of rough to sign him for his last year and only to DFA him with a couple months in the season left. But, like, eventually – you know, business comes into play. So that, that's going to be something to watch for too. Yeah. I mean, it's a big piece that they want to win a world series and we know when the Cardinals, uh, they sneak in, you know what I mean? And, and they've done it the last couple times they won the world series. Think about the year, not the one, not to bring up 06 for you, but that year they snuck in, they had no business winning the national league. And then they go in and just trounce the tigers. And then even the year against uh, the, the Rangers, they had no business doing what they did. And they just found pieces upon pieces. And David Freeze was the the hero of that World Series. And they figure it out. They're just a winning pedigree of, of, of a team. And they're, team, they're the type of franchise that people should strive to model themselves around. Because you look at these other teams that are completely breaking it down. St. Louis, no matter what, what people want to say about them, how annoying they might be, and their fan base might be pretentious or whatever, they find a way to make the most of their players and compete and give their fans a winning product. So you can't say the same about 60% of the league right now. So at least St. Louis is going out there trying to win. Yeah. Every single, I can't remember the last time they were not even close to being in it, or at least on the like peripheral. Um, last thing, the most recent one I see is uh, the Tigers have traded Robbie Grossman, but uh, it does not have a team yet. So oh, wow. a smaller, yeah, he was great last year, but he I, hasn't done a whole lot this year. But again, you, you throw him into a decent lineup and he could be a really nice piece for somebody. Yeah. Utility player play multiple positions and, yeah, I think not, not to get too in the weeds with the Tigers, but there's a huge issue with that. I mean, Torkelson was supposed to take the next step and join in with Riley Green up on the main roster. I think they were supposed to be more competitive than they thought. Maybe they thought 2023 was the year and Robbie Grossman was a part of those plans. But when Torkelson getting sent back down to AAA, Riley Green having a little bit of those struggles, he, he's pretty, pretty good. Um, and when he's not competing, you know, doing things at the dish, he's actually being, you know, defensively very reliable. So, but. I think they've been uh, they're pushing the date back to be competitive. Like we said, 2023, it's probably more like 2025. Uh, but, you know, that's another market baseball needs. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're in the Juan Soto mix. I don't know. Like, fuck it. Like, go all in. Maybe. I mean, yeah, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Should be. I hope it's I hope it's at least at least interesting. I don't want like, oh, like a couple small things and nothing else. Like everything happens today. I want to see some interesting stuff tomorrow. This reminds me of the year that the Cliff Lee deal went down where he he originally was traded to the Yanks and huh. then he went to the Mariners. Like that reminded me of, oh no, he went from the Mariners to the Rangers that year. And then the Yanks wound up getting shut down in the ALCS from Cliff Lee. Cliff Lee was a bounced around artist. a little bit. Didn't he go to the Phillies at some point? Was that a free agency? In free time? agency, yeah. Okay. They were the mystery team when they had Oswald, Halliday. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah, and they still I hated my life series. at that point, yep. But... That being said, we'll continue to guys check out the chat. I appreciate the chatter in there about the trades. We'll continue to talk about everything going on with the trade deadline. I'm sure it's going to be interesting. 
Uh, but we have our trade line trade deadline popping up soon. Uh, it's in 13 days, right? The trade deadline's uh, August 14th. I'm going to make sure that's the actual date. Um, August 11th actually says in 10 days. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so our trade deadline's coming up. I know a lot of our deals have been sort of cemented and a lot of the sellers have already sent off their pieces. There's been conversations with me. I mean, Brandon Drury has been asked about, and I've got people asking about Randy Rosarena, some people that are in this room right now. Uh, but <laughs> people, you know, there's still trades to be made. Uh, but I think a lot of the, the problem right now for the sellers, they already have their keepers set up for next year. So it's kind of hard to make a decision, but we'll see. There might be some deals going on uh, in the next 10 days, uh, maybe in between two, uh, two contenders. We'll see. Uh, just a quick note before we get into the rankings here. It looks like Robbie Grossman, if I'm reading this right, is going to the Braves, which if last year was any indication, he'll probably turn into Mickey Mantle for the last two months. Because <laughs> last year, like Jorge Soler ends up winning the World Series MVP. Um, Adam Duvall was great for them. I think Rosario won the and NLCS they, MVP. Yeah. So yep. like Robbie Grossman will probably be, you know, Juan Soto light for the last couple months here. I'm real. I mean, honestly... I know that the history with the Braves are there, but you can't help but root for a lot of these guys on that team. Oh. Like I don't really. You feel you feel. I know you see them more. You know a lot. I just I love I love Matt Olson. I just, I love the way the team is constructed. I mean, yes. I mean, if I look at it as an outsider, I can't complain about how the team is constructed. They've done an amazing job every single year. Uh, but as a Mets fan, I can't. And stand underrated it. uniforms. I know you probably hate them because it's like your. I hate everything. Trauma. I hate everything about. They're the beautiful, though. Come on, let's oh, be honest no. about the colors. Everything, and... the stupid chop. Like, come on. Well, the chop. I think the I chop they like, got rid of, right? I do find their mascot funny. I think he blooper. I think it's blooper. Um, I do find him entertaining. Got some love for blooper. Right? Yeah, he he might be it. That's it. All right, so we'll take that. So Braves fans, Devin is still, you know, he's warming up to you. No, no, the rest of them can go fuck themselves. Well, if the if the Mets get a World Series, maybe you'll stop the hatred. Maybe you'll feel a little better. If they win the World Series, maybe you'll start to you know pass the love on these other franchises. I don't know. We'll see. I still hate the Sox, so that will never happen. Yeah. All right, let's go with the power rankings, and I know you have them in front of me. So, again, this is the last time before we – I think week 20 was the last time we're going to do it, but then we have one for the postseason. Uh, so, yeah, this is the third time we're doing this. There's been a significant amount of changes since the beginning of the year. Obviously, the week one one. Then we did week 10. Now we're at week 15. I do appreciate everybody getting me these power rankings. It was a little more of a slow drip. Uh, so I, at this point last night when you and I were going to record, I'm happy we didn't because all the trades that went down. But it uh, took a bit to get them from. And I do. I know everybody's busy and stuff, but goddamn, pal. I need, I need, the, uh, I need the power rankings. They got to send them my way. You know, when someone doesn't return a homework assignment, do you know, you know how you feel? I'm, I'm like, come on. I mean, are you me? Are you relating to me with all? No, you sent it right away. Oh, okay. no, do you want no. me to put specific people on blast running? You know who you no, are. No, no, no. I meant, I meant, I thought you were relating the homework thing to me because I'm a teacher. I was going to say, oh, same I'm, here, I'm, though. I mean, I'm a, on, right, 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 right. I was going to say, I'm a PE teacher. There's no homework here. Well, you know, working out and your healthy living is always your homework, right, Devin? Yeah, I'm checking up on them at home. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's go at number 10 here in the power rankings. And again, uh, so the lower the score, the better, the higher the score, the, the worse. So you, we have nine possible spots. The lowest possible score you could have would be 81. So keep that in mind when you number 10 here. All right. Yeah. So uh, coming in here at number 10 is you, Steve. Um, total points, 73. 
Um, average rank of 8.1. Highest rank was 7. Lowest rank was 9. And you moved down one spot since five weeks ago. Um, I mean, before I get into – so I think you and I talked before this, and we said for the bottom four, we're going to probably focus a little more on guessing how those teams are going to go about their keepers because a lot of the trades have already been made with the future keepers in mind. And looking at those bottom four teams, I find it very interesting that they all, at least the two that I look focused on the most, like you, you or you and Nick, and I feel like both of your teams, you have a lot of different ways you could go. And I'm guessing you guys did that as a strategy. Like, let's give my let's give ourselves some options here instead of just acquiring one guy I really like and then, oh, he shits the bed and uh, suddenly I don't want to keep him anymore. So looking at your teams, I found interesting. But before I get into my predictions for who I think you might keep, um, how does it make you feel when you hear yourself at the bottom of the barrel, like compared to your thoughts back in April after we, we drafted? I mean, it's expected when you break down the team to a point where you're rebuilding for next year. Uh, you know, the fact that I'm last, it's ex- it's expected. It does suck to lose week after week and be sitting at three and 12 right now with one of the lowest point totals is not where I want to be. It's not where I envision my team being. So, you know, I do, I do appreciate the foresight I had though, to recognize that if I would have stuck it out, no matter what, if you add Corbin Burns back to my roster, you add Logan Webb back to my roster. I was not as well built as I thought I was in the beginning. And I know in the preseason, I was ranked close to the top, if not number one, Uh, it was just a misstep by me. And I I think my drafting strategy is going to change. I, I took a risk on some players, most notably Bo Bichette, who, I have in front of me the 2023 updated keeper list for like that chart I sent out to you guys. And I have it filled out alone for my keepers and spoiler alert. I had Bo Bichette put in there post the trade. Like that's why I put in. Cause that's why I penciled in when I was rebuilding, but I really don't feel I'm going to be keeping Bo Bichette. And like that might change throughout the rest of it. And depends on how he gets hot and how he finishes the season. But looking at the way my team got constructed and obviously O'Neill Cruz getting called up is a huge deal because it changes who's being able to be captain. He's not going to be able to be uh, the keeper in the NA spot. So that's huge. It bumps somebody out. Uh, but also the value of a first round keeper, it can't be what Bo Bichette's doing this year, sitting at 36 overall in points. You could get that production elsewhere. Most specifically off the waiver wire, Brandon Drury sitting at 24th overall in points. Eligible at first, second, third, and right field. If you look at his numbers, you would have thought he was drafted in the first two rounds. He wasn't. He was he was picked up on the waiver wire um, and dropped by a few people. I mean, Bazada had him on May 10th and dropped on May 25th. Alicia picked him up on June uh, June 5th, and then somehow she made a roster move and dropped him on June 11th. And then I had him on June 14th, and he's been there 91% owned, somehow not 100% owned in Yahoo. I don't understand how that works. But it just shows you, when you take a go with your gut guys, but also do your research. And I went against what I thought I should do. And I think it's a domino effect. Fuck man. Like if I would have took Trey Turner, maybe things would have went much differently for me, but you live and learn. I took a risk and it sucked. And you know, here I am rebuilding. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. The point you make about Bichette, because I, I know you've kind of talked about it a little bit on past podcasts, about what you weren't, you know, you're not sure if he's going to be a future part, but obviously you got to hang on to him uh, to kind of make sure. Um, but when I made my prediction, the hardest, the hardest part for me was to predict who you're going to keep as your regular position player. And then like the under five, the under two. So this is what I went with, but like, there's a few other ways you could go too. So my guess is that at the end of the season, you're going to end up going with Ozzy Alves, who I know is 
not even been a thought on your team for a while because he's been hurt for so long. But he's a second-round guy instead of first. Last year in a full season, he put up 216 points, which I don't think Boba Shett's going to come close to this year. Um, and he's in the middle of what we know is going to be a good offense for a very, very long time, and he'll probably jump right back into it. So that's an outside, maybe a little bit of an outside thought there, but I, I, I could see that happening. The pitcher, I'm guessing, has to be Hunter Green since he's someone you acquired. And I looked at the rest of your guys there. I, I don't see anyone else. I, at least well tonight. I mean, strong. yeah, and all the potentials there. And even when he doesn't pitch great, he still strikes out a ton of guys. So, like, you're going to get some points. Um, I had Tatis in the under five. Um, Riley Green in the under two, although there's a couple ways you could go there. And then, obviously, you you're, you should have – your batch of NAs could be the best out of anyone next year with – uh, Corbin Carroll, um, Henderson, and who's the other one? Henry uh, Davis. Oh, Henry, Henry Davis, pick. who you've yeah. had for a while. Yeah. And then um, the questions I would have, that would leave out Bo Bichette. That would leave out O'Neill Cruz, who, I mean, I, when I without looking at the stats, I was going to put him in there. And then when I saw he's hitting like around 205, I said, oh, maybe not. Maybe not until he gets some more pieces around him in that lineup. Um, Jazz Chisholm, if he could stay healthy, I think maybe it'd be a different story. Uh, Eloy, same question with the injury history. And then a Rosa Reina, is he quite keeper worthy yet, or is he right outside the keeper zone? That's so anyway, that those were my thoughts of who I could see you keeping, but you you have options, which is nice. That's that was the idea with the trades. I didn't want to be locked in just in case you had some of that the struggling of the young players. O'Neill Cruz, I had penciled in as someone I wanted to keep as my NA, but he's been up with Pittsburgh and rightfully so they recognize he was too good to be in triple a. And that's what you want teams to do. So when he got called up, it was nice to see him play, but now that he's getting the at bats, I think he's already approaching not being eligible to be an NA if, if he hasn't already. Uh, but I like the options. I, I mean, I was, I have full transparency. It doesn't affect my decisions. I mean, Riley green, I definitely want to keep Fernando Tatis. I acquired him to keep, and there's been some people, calling me about Fernando Tatis wanting to acquire him. And like, they know I've been apt to move him, but I can't let him go again. I let him go once. <laughs> he's my one true love. He's here. He's here to stay pitching wise. Hunter green is like the only option I have. And I like the potential in him. And I, I could have kept and held on to some other players. Like I moved Logan Webb because I knew I wasn't keeping because a lot of these pitchers were drafted in upper rounds. And I don't think they were living up to their potential. And Corbin Burns was the guy I thought I could keep, but I wanted Tatis back because of the controllability, if that's even a word, uh, the the ability to control Fernando Tatis was uh, his allure to me, plus what a good player he is when he's on the field. And I think they're going to be careful with him. I think we may see him. He's taken bad in practice today. Mm -hmm. felt good. So we may see him for the Padres. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'd rather see him sit out the rest of the year. Uh, but uh, as far as my the other guys go, Max Meyer, I just dropped. That was a shame because like, he was – looking so good in triple a when he got called up, I was very excited. Uh, it happened so quickly and now he's done. He's probably not going to come back until the end of uh, 2023. If he, if he even comes back next year, Corbin Carroll and O'Neill Cruz and Hunter Davis. I'm excited about these young players. And then Gunnar Henderson uh, is emerged as the top prospect offensively for the Orioles. So yeah, I mean, I'm happy with the job I did trading. I don't think I'm done completely yet. If someone offers me like a position player with, you know, some control, uh, but, you know, some of the conversations I had didn't make any sense. And I don't want to just make a move just to make a move. Uh, I don't think that's fair to the rest of the league to just make a move because, it you know, it doesn't, you know, Brandon Drury has been asked about. And 
unless I get something that helps me for next year, I don't want to just move Brandon Drury and he can, he can effectively help someone win a championship. I don't want to do that for the league. And I think I'm going to hold on to him. I want to be able to field my most competitive team. And plus I also have the consolation bracket. I want to win. I think with Drury, I'm surprised people are asking about him already. Um, Just because like he, he's been on my radar a little bit, but I would, I won't ask about him until I know he's staying with the Reds because if he's traded to another team, say like the Mets, like he's going to go back to being that pinch hitter utility guy that he's been for his whole career, even though he's proven he's starter worthy now. Yeah. Who was the dude, the dude from last year for the pirates that went to the Padres? What's that player last year? He was like a top 10 player. Frazier, Adam Frazier. Yeah. Adam Frazier. That's exactly what he'd become. Well, Drury's always been that guy until this year where the Reds gave him a chance to start because they had no other options at one point. Um, so there's been talk about trading the Reds trading, but there's also been talk about maybe the Reds will extend him because of he's, you know, he's done so well. So if he's extended with the Reds, that means he's going to be an everyday player for the rest of the year. Then I absolutely think he's someone that people should be calling you about, but otherwise it's, you know, you got to be careful with that. My question to you is if, uh, say in the next 10 days, you, you kind of decide in your mind, like, yeah, Boba not going to be someone I keep. I know you're leaning that way, but not sure yet. And then someone calls you with a pitcher that maybe is more keeper worthy than Hunter Green. Would you listen? Are you offering me a trade live on air right now? No, no. It's just a thought in my <laughs> mind. I don't even have a specific person in mind. But It would have to just... be a pitcher that was a no-brainer, ace level. Because, again, it's it no skin off my back to let Bichette go. Because if I'm not keeping him and he's first-round keeper, I just don't want to affect – the scope of the way the league goes and like no, no. the championship with Bobashek getting healthy, not getting healthy, but getting hot. Uh, what with my team just kind of floundering, but yeah, I mean, that's an option. Like I definitely, if there's a pitcher somewhere out there that maybe is hurt or shut down, like, uh, you know, we've seen Jake, I think Jake started today, right. Uh, for the Mets. I starting tomorrow, tomorrow. So, if Nick calls me about Jacob DeGrom and he wants Bo Bichette, like that may be something I consider, but it's also, it's tough because I let Corbin Burns walk because he was a first round keeper. So like, if I get another pitcher, like I would have just kept Corbin Burns and maybe I should have kept Corbin Burns. And maybe this is all sort of like this weird unraveling that I made one decision. I, it all goes back to taking Bo Bichette over Trey Turner and it becomes, or you know what? It all goes back to trading Fernando Tatis Jr. Originally for Trey Turner and it all unraveled. I got to stick to the, stick to the plan. I mean, I think if I were you, the only way I'd really get close to thinking about it for real is not for like a round one or two guy, because I, like you said, you already kind of let that go. Um, my, if, if I were you, if it was someone that was like a late round keeper, but more of a sure thing than Hunter Green. And I know Hunter Green has all the potential in the world, but a young guy that's already proven he is like a keeper worthy guy. And again, I don't have real names in mind right now, but I think that would be the one that if I were you, I'd, I'd make more of a consideration for like value. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at like Travis's roster, like Carlos Rodon. Like I probably would consider that for Carlos Rodon, but like, it's like Robin Peter to pay Paul for him because he's getting rid of a, an ACE level pitcher. One of the best pitchers in the league right now. Maybe it makes his offense better. Does it upgrade him completely? Like he probably would like to start him over Suzuki, right? Like he, or, you know, who knows, like Stephen Kwan's playing center field for him. Maybe you can move uh, George Springer there and then you can pop in here. And this is all an issue until Julio Rodriguez comes back from his injury. But that's like something I consider. But I don't know if anyone's willing to do that because pitching's been so scarce all year. Yeah. 
Yeah, same story. Um, all right, interesting thought. I mean, Julio Arias over here, you know, it might be like a round 10 keeper next year, a young guy, I'm just saying. But um, I have to look anyway. at his numbers, but I'm definitely willing <laughs> to discuss it because Boba really, you know, on my radar as being uh, one of the reasons my team's not competitive. And I think because it's not just the fact that his value isn't there, but it also affects the rest of the draft because you make the wrong decision in that first round pick. Look at Greg's team, made the right decision with his first round pick, yeah, and everything falls into place. So, all right, you ready to move to number nine? Yeah, let's go. Number nine, this person has 69 points, an average rank of 7.6. Highest rank was six by somehow, and then lowest was nine. Uh, this person <laughs> is Alicia. So, you know, Alicia is, I think, embracing the rebuild life. I think she's finally accepting that, you know, maybe not in the cards of uh, winning a championship this year, despite uh, being stubborn about accepting it. I think her team offensively had the the wherewithal to actually withstand some of the pitching woes. But I think injuries have really hampered that most notably with Bryce Harper and Wander Franco. I think those guys are healthy. I think it's a different story for her, but, you know, replacing Franco with Kyle Farmer and then replacing Harper with, you know, Tavares, Leone Tavares of Texas, it, it the lineup becomes drastically different and the pitching was just not, not there to uh, withstand it. I do appreciate that she did make some deals acquiring Dustin May, who's coming off the IL. Um, he is making his rehab starts in Oklahoma City, so we may be seeing him. He's been nasty. So looking towards the future, I did appreciate that. Seems like she's setting her lineup in a, in a better way, ironically, when her team's not playing as well. And, and when she's, and I know it's got to burn you a little bit. When she's playing you, she's setting her lineup, Devin. But um, I do appreciate that she's making deals for the future and answering deals because I know that's been kind of you know a complaint that some people have had, that some people weren't answering deals. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, the, the offense, every time you look at the offense, there's several names that just, you know, are scary players to go up against. But um, I'm curious, did you look at her team in the realm of, like, who you could see her keeping? Because I didn't really look at it like that yet. And I, I'm interested in who that might be, just to see if, like, it might be worth it for her to make one more trade based on setting her keepers up. Well, if you look at the pitchers, uh, she acquired Dustin May. So I'm not sure if Dustin May is under five. He, I think he is. So, oh, I mean, definitely, as as definitely he, under five. Or uh, Yeah, so Dustin May can fall in that spot. I think other other pitchers, you look at, I mean, Giolito has been, you know, I guess, okay at spots. Like, I, you, obviously can't, not. you can't keep <laughs> like, Giolito. You can't keep him. I think, so, I, don't, I don't know what his draft spot was, but yeah, I don't, th- I don't think. There's any way you can keep Lucas Giulio. He was drafted in the second round, so you're right. Oh, you no. cannot keep him. No way. I mean, maybe she doubles down and just keeps Kyle Gibson as a as a giant <laughs> flavor. You know, like, hey, I believe in Kyle Gibson. Uh, another guy you look at is Luis Severino, who he's on the IL again. He's been hurt and all that stuff, but he was drafted in the 15th round, so it's possible that Severino could be the guy. Freddie Peralta from Milwaukee, who again is on the IL, has been, you know, oft injured, 22nd round. So those are two options that potentially could be, I guess, value picks. Uh, offensively, it's a little more challenging for her because it's there's a lot there. I mean, is right. she going to give up on Wander Franco with that quad injury? Is she going to keep Bryce Harper, uh, which kind of log jams it because Bryce Harper is a first-round pick. So if she keeps Bryce Harper, she can't keep a, a couple other guys. I mean, I don't think I'm looking at the rest of her roster as far as uh, – I mean, she can also keep – I mean, Juan Soto is still on that track, that same Tatis track where he was kept last year. 
So he goes all the way up from the seventh. What is the actual, I should know that he was in the seventh last year. So that means he goes up to the fourth. So he's a fourth round next year when she, when she keeps Soto, we know she's keeping him. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean for Vlad? I think there's a lot of like question marks for her. I think the guy she really has to consider it's Wander, it's Bryce, it's Soto and it's Vlad. And then everybody else sort of is there. So you have to wonder, like maybe she moves one of these other guys, like a Vlad jr. If she's not going to keep Vlad who, why would she, you know, like, cause Vlad, she's kept him twice. I think he goes to a first round next year. So she can't keep Vlad. Uh, and also Harper as well. She can't now that I'm like unpacking this live on air. So if I were her, I'd be like, I got to move one of them. And Vlad makes more sense because Harper is not coming back anytime soon. Harper right. is still, and Vlad's going to help another team. She can get a huge package maybe with a pitcher that would be like help her next year immensely. Right. Yeah. If you, Just looking at the pitchers now, like we just said, you can't keep Gilito. Uh Dustin May, you probably, if you're going to keep him, you probably keep him in the, the under five, maybe. Seve, uh, too many health issues. Freddie Peralta, probably the same thing. Too many health issues. So I think it's pretty clear. Like, she could make one more deal if someone's willing to give her, you know, a keeper-worthy pitcher uh, in exchange for an offensive piece that she's not going to keep. And uh, she she might be able to get that. Uh, again, pitching is always hard to give up, especially at this time of year. For someone who's a playoff contender, but you never know. I mean, if if she was to make one more trade, that would be the trade to make. And that would just take full acceptance that it's over. You know what I mean? Like I know there's there's always the chance, like the meme. So you're saying there's a chance she's five and ten. There is no chance if we're looking at realistically, like the top three teams in the Balfour division. I mean, Perry already comes a playoff spot, eleven and four. You're at nine and six, looking to get to ten and six. If she loses this week. I mean, you gotta you gotta pull the plug and just be like, I'm trading Vlad because or she's keeping Vlad and dropping off Harper. So but you have to look at it through the scope of like it sucks this year. Like, do you think I like being three and twelve? No, but I have to look at the rest of the my team has to be better next year. And I think if I would have held on and been stubborn about it, it would have just been like, you know what? Cool. I'm I'm five and ten. I'm six and nine, but I'm not making a playoff run. I'm definitely not winning a championship. So what's the point? Right. But here I am ripping on the Orioles for selling, but you know, here I, here I am. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's, I think those are the options as far as keepers go. Like, I think she has a lot to think about, but I think she needs to think about it in 10 days because if she, if she's left with all these players, like, yeah, she has options, but pitching wise leaves a lot to be desired. And we know what it's like when you go into the draft with not that studly pitcher, you know, even a potential guy. I mean, Dustin May's there, but you can get Dustin May and somebody else, unless she really wants to rock it out with, you know, Dustin May is the pitcher, and then the rest are position players. Which yeah, is you need you need, uh, but she's gone that route for so long now; it just hasn't worked. I feel like she needs someone to hang her hang her hat on, someone that she can depend on. But she can't keep Vlad and right and Harper at the same time, no matter what, because right. the two first round picks can't be kept. And I think she, you know, at least the thing is, I, I don't. The thing is, I don't know if anyone trades for Harper right now based on the injury stuff that he's gone through. I know he got his pins out today, but does some, does someone trade a quality pitcher for a guy that has had all those injury issues this year? And you don't even, you still don't know when he's coming back. So I think the move for her, for her would be to, to trade Vlad in that case. I know she's been disappointed with him anyway. She's expressed that. So, I mean, everyone's been, I mean, the blue Jays have been really disappointing. They were supposed to be the, I think the ALE's favorites. Yep. So offensively has been their problem. 
I mean, we, we know Manoa has been, everything is advertised, but they usually just offensively think back to the years with Encarnacion and Jose Batista. They always score runs. I feel like this year they're probably middle of the pack. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they're just, they're, they're very disappointing. And I, I look at them every night. I'm like, how are you guys not scoring a million runs, especially in that ballpark on that turf? Yeah, I don't understand. I don't know what's gone wrong. I know they've played a little better as of late, but they'll still be dangerous in the playoffs, though, man. Like, super yeah. dangerous. If they get out of that wild card run, I think anything's possible for them. Quick note here, and this is a good transition to go to the next team in the power rankings. Um, John Heyman reports the Jays are making a play to bring back Noah Syndergaard to Toronto. Um, wow. John Morosi also mentions the Phillies and Braves are also looking at Noah Syndergaard. That would be interesting to see them him come back to the NL East. Ay, ay, ay. Um, anyway, so speaking of Noah Syndergaard, coming in at number eight, I believe. Let me just double check before I go into this too fast here. Yes, you're right. Okay, because <laughs> I lost it for a second. All right, here we go. All right, yeah, is uh, Nick. Um, 66 points here, so uh, three less than Alicia. 7.3 is the average rank, highest rank of six and lowest rank of nine. He stays right where he was five weeks ago. Um, I see Nick as a team right now that although he has sold, he's his team is still capable if things go right and if everybody's healthy. His team's still capable of putting up a number. So he could be a little bit of a spoiler as far as at least seating goes for the top six. Like he could he could mess up someone's chance to get a buy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he plays it here at the end. Uh, so I took a look at his team in a similar light as when I looked at your team, as far as like who he may keep. I found his team again, almost as difficult as yours, as far as like which direction he goes. Um, this is what I came up with. So tell me if you agree or disagree uh, position wise, he's held on to Luis Robert. Um, so I'm guessing that even though he could keep him in uh, probably the under five as well, I, I see him in the position player role right there. Um, pitching is where it gets interesting because he acquired a bunch of young pitchers so my expectation is that he keeps Spencer Strider and then Kyle Wright in the under five um, and then Adley in the under two. There's a bunch of different ways he could go. Um, his NAs look pretty nice, too. Perez and Sixto, those are two uh, Marlins guys. And then Jordan Walker has been tearing it up in the minors as well. So my question is then Jeremy Pena has been a nice young player for the Astros. Uh, Clevenger, if you think he's going to be the Clevenger of old, is a consideration. Um, George Kirby, young pitcher that wouldn't cost him much in the draft, has shown that he's the real deal. And uh, Mackenzie Gore, obviously. And then that's not to mention Jacob deGrom. Like if Jacob deGrom comes back, makes it through the season, and is the Jacob deGrom that we've all been used to, I, I don't know. Or maybe what Nick is hoping is that Jacob deGrom is lights out tomorrow and he jettisons him to someone uh, for another piece, but I, I don't know. I don't know if Nick needs to make another deal because I feel like he already has young keeper options. And I think that's what he's going for is a complete youth movement. Like all those guys i mentioned, Luis Robert Strider, Kyle Wright, Adley, if those are his keepers, I mean, he's starting the year super young, but a bunch of guys with a, t a ton of talent. Yeah. He, I mean, I, I love what he did. So Nick, great job with this rebuild. Cause you didn't completely tear it down, but it was all strategic decisions. And you mentioned Adley, like, his wagon is tied to Adley, no matter what good, yeah. bad, or indifferent Adley's his guy. He made that deal on. Uh, he's got to kind of live with what he does. And I think Adley has been impressive in those bursts. I mean, he had, you know, the last couple of games, I look at his numbers for a catcher. He's been really exciting. And I think once the 
Orioles put a lineup around him. I think he's gonna be even more impressive. I mean, he's still so goddamn young. Uh, so I love what he did also. I mean, competitive, even though he's rebuilding, acquiring Charlie Blackman, obviously not keeping Blackman, but 40th overall points. He still has the spirit of wanting to be competitive in this league. And like you mentioned, like things could break right. We've seen seen other teams that are under 500 find a way to get to uh, make a playoff from. But I think the league is so top heavy this year. I don't think it's possible this year. Uh, but nothing's impossible, obviously. But I think he's done a really good job of like riding that fence, but not completely tipping it over like I did. And I love what he did with Kyle Wright and Spencer Strider. Didn't give up too much for them. Um, and I think he's starting to get really uh, the feel for like who he wants his team to be. And we talked about this identity piece and everyone has these players that they identify with and these players that feel like they're their type of players. I think he's doing a really good job of like finessing the type of players he wants on his roster. And it's, it's benefiting him. I, I fully expect him to move Jacob DeGrom. And I think, Interesting. Would, yeah, I think Jacob DeGrom should be moved. And I know he's, Probably but, excited about him coming back, but if you're not going to be in the playoffs and you're not going to keep DeGrom next year, and how could you in a first-round spot, it kind of you're going to face the same issues again, no matter what. I don't think he's going to be hurt next year. I'm not wishing that upon him, but how do you put some stock in a guy who's missed 65 games already this year, and we don't even know what he's going to do for the rest of the year? But what would Nick trade DeGrom for? Because you said before for yourself oh, that – Oh, oh, interesting. So, so No, okay. I'm not just saying me, but I'm, I'm also looking at other – other options for keepers like Bryce Harper, Vlad Jr. Those would be right. huge. That would be a like that would be a, a match made in heaven. Vlad Jr. for for Jacob DeGrom. My only thought was that like obviously he'd only trade him if he's improving his current keeper options. Where I, I guess what you're saying is you could improve upon Luis Robert. Now I know Nick likes Luis Robert a lot. He's expressed that, but well, obviously Vlad Jr. Like yeah, no obviously able to lock, get rid of Vlad Jr. from Alicia's vice grip at this point. And I right, think- if you can get one of those guys from Alicia, then that's got to be a consideration. But now, if you if you were able to get Jacob Degrom from you would you would keep Jacob Degrom? I'd have to consider it. Yeah. But that also puts me in the same goddamn spot I was recording Burns, so maybe not. Right. Like I don't know. I'd have to really think about it. It's not a layup. I wouldn't just automatically. It also a lot rides on tomorrow. Yeah. So if he looks at lights out, like he's going to be, you know, he's got the juices flowing for not only Met fans, but for us in the league, we're going to be looking at him as like, wow, he's back. Or he could leave with discomfort again. Like we've we've seen this before. We've seen this act before. So. Yeah, I mean, I hope for the best because it's good for baseball. It's good for New York sports when Jacob Degrom's out there because. You know, outside of judges, judges feats, he's been a premier athlete in New York, one of the best athletes we've had in the last 25 years. He's that good. And I think it's a shame to see him doing what he's doing. Like by the end of his Met tenure, and this may be a hot take for people, there should be a goddamn statue of him. They got to, they're going to have a day, retire 48. There needs to be a day for Jacob DeGrom. He's been every bit as advertised. He's put that franchise on, on the back when times were tough. And I think DeGrom deserves all the love and, no, the Mets are going to stand by him. I, and I think he's been nothing but a model citizen. He says the right things. He's He's been, like I said, been through some shitty times, through bad ownership. He deserves to be recognized. And like, I know I have all the love for him. I think he's he's a, a fucking player we're going to look at as one of the greatest of all time. And like, we're watching Tom Seaver-like stuff in real time when he's on the mound. Yeah, I think people, some of the shine came off in the last year because people kind of were questioning like is this guy kind of like uh like making some of this stuff up is he in his head which 
I understand why. That's like even gone through my head a few times. Like, is this guy like a hypochondriac suddenly? But I just think there's no way because we've seen this grind, this guy grind for years. So like, this all has to be legitimate. It's unfortunate, but it's it's funny how people, how quickly people forget. Before he got hurt last year, the season he was having was unreal, and people, even the announcers in the booth, guys like Keith and Ron, who are, are hard to impress and are not going to uh, speak in hyperbole, were starting to say like you have to mention him with Tom Seaver now, like if he keeps this shit up. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think there's a question that he's going to be the, I, he's going to be the dominant guy that we're used to. It, it's just whether he can keep it up. I think if he's out there pitching, he'll be dominant. I think it's just until, you know, something else nagging comes up because they're always super careful with him. So. Look at the list of those that have won back-to-back Cy Youngs. We look back to 18, 19, 19 and he's probably should have won multiple. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you know, you mentioned the year last year that got shortened with injury, and uh, the year before that, 2020, he was you know, like a lot has gone wrong for him. He easily could be sitting here with four or five Cy Youngs, and may, who knows, maybe there's an- another three in his future. But also, rookie of the year in 2014, led the NL and ERA back in 2018, strikes out the world in 19 and 20. Now, I'm looking back to 2020, he probably should have won the Cy Young that year as well. Uh, and then four time also the guy is every bit as advertised and, you know, was the best athlete throughout, you know, the 2010 in New York. I mean, we've, we had a dry spell of, of championships, obviously, since the Yanks won in 09, there hasn't been much going on for, for championships, but he was a bright spot in New York sports. Like that is a huge piece of like keeping us afloat and it kept the Mets afloat for a bit there. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely put the team on his back for a while. I, hopefully this team everything this team has done this year has kind of pointed to this is different like the things that would usually happen have just not happened um the i think the final test here is when jacob Degrom pitches do they score any runs for him um it's a different team the offense has been rolling lately so hopefully that whole curse where they scored zero runs and he gives up one uh hopefully that doesn't happen this year and the thing too look at it this way from an emotional standpoint for the Mets there's no move they can make at the trade deadline that would have more of an impact than DeGrom coming back healthy so no Castillo no Quintana obviously no Montes absolutely not DeGrom is the best pitcher in the world when he's healthy and so when he comes back Let's hope he's absolutely right. And I think they've been patient enough to really hold out. And the Mets have done a great job of making you not really miss DeGrom because there's been years where he's been gone and things have gone awry. He's like the cherry on top of this Sunday. That's been a really fun season outside of the Yankees completely destroying the ball. If you look at that, what the Mets have done, they've been amazing this year. Very true for them to be in the position. They are, especially with how well the Braves have played in the last couple months. Uh, I'm very impressed they've been able to hold it down this long. And not to mention that Scherzer was out for six or seven of those weeks too. So uh, incredible what they've done. They've had their share of adversity that they've overcome. And I think it's built a very callous skin over this team that they feel like they can overcome stuff more so than a lot of years in the past. So when the going gets tough throughout the, you know, when things obviously go wrong in the playoffs and you start to hit a wall because you're facing the best teams and, Inevitably, if you have a playoff series against the Braves, there's there's going to be this stick that they have that in years past they didn't have. And I think we could be seeing the Mets make a, a deep run. I, I'm very impressed with what I see with them. And I've been watching a lot of them. So there's something different about this team. And, you know, 
Scherzer may be the difference. He has the experience of going deep into the playoffs and winning a World Series. Agreed, man. That guy, his attitude's got to be a bit contagious. And um, Stevie Cohn, Buck Showalter, Walter, it's Show no coincidence. These guys Unreal. are just, yeah. I mean, we can just wax poetic about these guys all day. I think it's it's great for baseball. Not to talk about Nick's team too long, but there's two pieces on his team that we haven't mentioned yet that, I mean, some someone that is in playoff position might be looking at uh, proven veterans, Alex Bregman, Xander Bogarts. I don't think he's giving much thought to keeping one of those guys. Uh, definitely not both of them. Um, third base has been a rough position for a lot of people. Black Alex hole, Bregman, if you will. Yep, right. Black hole. Bregman hasn't been the Bregman of old. Like maybe he was better with the trash cans, but like he's still better than most third basemen. And he's the kind of guy who he sometimes can turn it on at the end. And then Bogarts, who knows? I mean, that shortstop. Wonder if anyone gives them a look. But again, like, would it be worth? It would have to be worth uh, Nick giving them up to improve on something else. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot he can do, and we'll see. I mean, there's some freedom, and I can speak for this because I'm doing it now, to not being in the mix and making the wrong move. But there's with our league moving towards more of a dynasty feel where potentially going into 2024, we're adding that other keeper, uh, which would be under three, right? Yeah, because we have an under two and under five, and we're going to be adding the under three. Plus the NAs, a decision trading away the wrong person could be devastating for your rebuild because eventually – we had that extra keeper. That's 10 other players that are not in the pool of players. So the ramifications of these trades become pretty um, apparent. It's not like you're just like giving up in a redraft league looking for draft picks next year. You're giving up players with a lot of value. And guys like Fernando Tatis Jr., who's been on this track from when he was in N.A., and same thing with Soto, from when he was in N.A., those players, they're, they hold the most value because you could build around them. Like the fact that Tatis next year, for me, not to pat myself on the back, but like Tatis is a round four keeper. And that's like, you can't get that talent. Look at Bichette and Tatis. I'd take that player all day when they're both healthy and there's a three round difference there. So that's how you win championships here. Spoken from the guy who has no championships. <laughs> all right, let's move to number seven. And this person's also rebuilding, but I really liked what this person's done uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks because she was down and out. So 60 overall points, an average rank of 6.6. Highest rank was seven. Lowest was nine. I think people are sort of still in the rhythm of ranking her low because of how bad she was in the beginning of the year, but she's sort of turned it around a little bit. Sitting here, uh, has won a few weeks in a row. I think she's won you know, two or three out of the last couple weeks. Four and 11. Uh, a devastating start to her season. It's everything that's kind of gone wrong has gone wrong for her. But I've been impressed with her ability to just stick it out. And it was a rough go a little bit there for her in the middle of the season where I know she was busy with moving and her new job and stuff. So she was a little quiet in the chat, but she's been ever present in the chat. And I do appreciate that. And it's been a tough season for her. And she's been very active as of late. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, her team Karen, is still... Her team is still dangerous if they could just stick in the lineup she should obviously the chris bryant uh notification it's comical at this point the chris those bryant are thing. pretty funny yeah um i've actually asked her several times about chris bryant this year um i wanted him in my squad but she she wasn't budging and, and now I'm, I'm i should probably be happy that i haven't acquired him because it looks like you know he's, he's probably do done for the season at this thing. point maybe you have to be he's been good when he's in there too he's just been in in there so infrequently um and then buxton too like in and out of the lineup 
striking out a ton, hitting home runs, but striking out a ton. Um, the part of her team that I love for the future, if she can find a way, which I think she can, to keep McClanahan, Cease, and Nick Lodolo, that is strikeout central. Like, those are three guys that can strike out 10 guys a game. Um, and I'm wondering if she can do that in the regular pitcher spot, an under five and an under two. I feel like she can because Lodolo can fit in the under two. I'm pretty sure McClanahan is easily under five. And then Cease, Cease is probably under five as well, but obviously one of the Cease is under five. It. He'll be over three at the end of this year. So yeah, he's so 3.08. She could keep three of those, those all three of them, and then – pick whatever position player, um, which I guess if you look, I don't know, who, who's the position player she keeps? Maybe that's one area she could improve on. Um, Yeah, I mean, maybe she rolls with Byron Buxton again or yeah, yeah. Chris Taylor I know she likes, but he's, you know, yeah. at this point, odd man out. I think she'd offense. have to. I guess she'd have to roll with Buxton. I mean, I don't know if that's really what she wants to do, but – if the or team Teoscar stays, maybe, but again, another uh, disappointing piece of that that Blue Jays lineup. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, she doesn't have an obvious offensive keeper, so I guess she, she could improve there. Um, she has to keep less now, now too. By the way, that's the oh, other. Oh shit! Has so, so Dylan Cease should be shipped out for an offensive player. Oh, you can't, you can't trade Cease right now. Have you been watching him lately? I have, but I'm just saying, like, she can't keep... So, McClanahan, she has to keep for the future. Unless you keep Cease instead of Lodolo. Well, yeah, you keep Cease instead of Lodolo. Lodolo's looked great recently, but you have... Cease has a better... But she acquired Lodolo on a trade as well. So like, I understand, but... but that, I mean, look at Nick. Nick Nick probably can't keep Mackenzie Gore if he's going to keep Strider and um, Kyle Wright. So, like, sometimes you just have to... You know, you, you got guys to have options, but I, I forgot about Glass now. Yeah, she's got to... I guess it's Glass now, Cease, and McClanahan then, which is still filthy. Um, filthy. I mean, McClanahan's undoubtedly probably close to the Cy Young, if not the – I mean, Cease is making a, a little push here in the AL, but McClanahan I think right. would be ideally the Cy Young. He has to be with how good McClanahan's been. But you're right. Like trade one of those pieces for an offensive keeper, I think. Um, the other thing when I look at her, the NAs, and I mean, I know they're not as big a deal because you could just leave them open and, and draft guys, but uh, Jack Leiter, even though he's been disappointing, obviously a worthwhile NA keeper, uh, Volpe as well. The other two guys, I mean, I, I know Mick Gable is a high pitching prospect for the Phillies, but kind of just a name right now, like not a guy that's really uh, proven a whole lot. And then Drew Waters is a guy that, from what, I, what I've read, I know Atlanta traded him to Oakland, which interestingly enough, Yahoo still has him under the Atlanta team name. Um, but uh, he's fallen off the map. Like he, he's His profile as far as a prospect has decreased big time. So she she might also be able to like improve the NAs a little bit. I know it's not maybe the biggest uh, priority, but. And she's got Joey Bartzel hanging around too. So, you know, that's a tough one. Yeah. If you Have you looked at Jack Leiter's profile picture? It looks just like his dad. Like, holy sh- Click on this picture quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's unreal. Like I feel like he's taking... about to, like, introduce the Yes Network to me right now. It's like Al Leiter with Botox. That is insane. <laughs> and because his hat's so low, so there's no forehead, it's just complete. It's it's Al Leiter just staring at me. He's been getting crushed, man, and he's been having trouble with control, which is, like, a surprise for everybody. 
But why do you? Why did Texas just throw him right into Double A? Like, was it? Don't you think that was a little like hasty? Like, put him in A ball. If he's amazing for a few weeks, then sure, just rush him up to Double A. But I feel like just because he has the name Lighter, they're like, and he had such a big profile coming into the year. I, that I hope that didn't screw him up. I think they're trying to rush pitchers through because I think they see the potential in the offense in the next couple of years, like we mentioned, yeah, but that they sucks, want these guys to come out there. Yeah. We even mentioned Kumar Rocker too. Like, not that he's going to be hopping up quick, but like Rocker was drafted by them after being injury riddled, right? And the Mets weren't able to finalize the deal with him. So he went back in the yeah. draft, right? That's what happened. Yep. yep. So lighter, I, I feel as if they want him to be like, they're going to will it into existence, but you're right. You probably need to build up some success in the in single A. Let him let him get the feel out and start to feel good about himself. It's like really it's really tough as you see with Joey Bart, who was tearing up the the ball in Triple A, got up to the major leagues, and now he's just a catcher. Like he he lost all the shine on his prospect value. And you're with Jack Leiter, he's so, still so young. I mean, he was drafted last year, so it's not like they we see pitchers hang out there for three four years in the minors. Right. Yeah. But I think they I, want him to come come up. Immediately, I think they want him to be Steven Strasburg, and I don't know if he's that. Uh, obviously, yeah, not. yeah, I think he'll be fine in the long run. But I just, and I guess we wouldn't be questioning it if he, uh, you know, was doing really well down there in but. Double A. Let him just like rack up the strikeouts, start to embarrass these, you know, borderline high school players, right? And <laughs> build up those numbers. I'm like, all right, and then also, you know, by building the confidence, you also build the trade value. Not that they're looking to trade them, but when you ruin these prospects from the beginning and rush them through. That's the other piece you're not thinking of, like, because there may be a trade down the line. Maybe Jack Leiter would be included in that Soto deal. He's got blown up. So now people are looking at him and looking at his numbers, just face value. Look at his baseball reference page. He's not good. So why would the, why would the, the Nationals ever include him for that package? You know what I mean? Like, the, the, that's the type of fourth wall thinking you have to have as a GM. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. You're right. I mean, I don't know. I Rushing him through, it's just. I feel like, again, I hope they didn't screw the guy up, like confidence-wise. So many of these guys, man, like they are unbelievable in college or high school, wherever they come from. And then these coaches get their hands on them and they try to change their mechanics and change a bunch of things about them. And I can't tell you how many pitchers I've seen struggle. And then two years later, you hear, oh, they went back to their old mechanics. And now that's why they're, they're you know, back to being great. It's like, why? These guys just can't keep their hands off them and just let them kind of continue with what they've been doing even Detmers who I brought up before he went to AAA for a few weeks and they said he kind of refound his old slider that's basically the only difference in Reed Detmers before and after his AAA stint this year and if you look at the results of his last whatever it was four or five starts since he's been back he's putting up numbers that he put up in AAA and that's just the one thing that he went back to something that someone tried to change and uh I wish these guys would just let them kind of, unless they think their mechanics are going to get them hurt. Like don't, don't bother messing with it. Well, I think there's this like singular approach of these teams that everyone needs to prepare for the games the same way and have the same mechanics. And it's the Cardinal way. We all do it the same way. And yeah, it works for a veteran who can kind of, he has, I guess the wherewithal to understand there's ups and downs of the game. He's 40 something years old. Adam Wainwright understands where he's, seen the highs, he's seen the lows, and he can kind of live in between. But a guy like Jack Leiter, like all he has now is his psyche. And all of a sudden, you start to get the yips, man. You forget how to pitch. And if, you, if you've if never done it successfully on the major league level, you start to second guess. Like, maybe I'm just not that good. 
Oh, absolutely. So it's a, it's an issue. I agree with you. And I think these, you drafted this pitcher for a reason. And like, he was lights out at Vanderbilt. Let him just do his thing. And like, okay, if he starts to struggle with his mechanics in the same way in single A, okay, then we revisit and try to change things. But why from the beginning? Like he needs to be Texas, Texas proven. Like, like you guys have been churning out all these aces. Obviously need fucking pitching. You've been awful. Let, let Jack letter show your pitchers how to pitch at this point. Yeah, true. Like he should go back and watch his last, however many starts at Vanderbilt and just go back to do doing what he was doing there. Um, anyway, so I mean, I, again, I think Karen might be a lodge. She's, I know she's told me, um, pretty much she she feels like she's done trading, but it's a logical move if she can't keep all those pitchers we just talked about. I, I mean, she might match up with Alicia perfectly. Again, we've mentioned Alicia plenty of times with the offense of guys she can't keep. All right, I can't keep this offensive player. I can't keep this pitcher. Let's swap them, and we'll both be better for it. Agreed, and I think they both probably need to make the decision. I mean, now that's 12, 10 a.m., and in nine days at this point, you need to figure out a way to – because looking at her offensive keepers, and if you're listening to this, Karen, you you need to make a move. I mean, I don't see any – I mean, unless Byron Buxton, you believe he's going to be the AL MVP type of player, but we're sitting here complaining about Chris Bryant on and off of the IL. Do you really want Byron Buxton, who's been more of the same? So, but let's move to the next person in the power rankings. And this person, the huge divide, you could see the bottom four teams are significantly worse. And the power rankings showed, and this is what you want from the power rankings. This person had 38 points, which is significantly more points uh, or less points, I should say, or better than Karen 60. And this person's a 38, an average rank of 4.2. Highest rank was four, lowest was six. Uh, and they went down one spot, believe it or not. And this was Bizzotta, who's been very active in the trade trade market. Uh, and his team has been hanging around. I know he's in in for a fight with Karen this week, who we mentioned she's going to field out her best possible team. She's been very active as of late, uh, trying to play spoiler. She beat my ass in, the, in a 10-day week last week. Uh, so she absolutely destroyed me. Her team still puts up points when they want to. And her pitching, as we mentioned, Dylan Cease and Shane McClanahan are going to put you to work. But looking at his team, um. Were you surprised at how low he was ranked, or do you feel this is appropriate for him? So I feel like it's appropriate. I'm more surprised that he's only eight and seven. Um, with the moves he made, where we all were like, "God damn!" Like, <laughs> I mean, he got Wheeler and uh, Manny Machado in, in one uh, one fell swoop, and then continued with another deal. Like, I just thought he his team would have taken off by now. Um, and let me see real quickly. I want to see, I don't know if it's a result of him just running into like monster weeks, like from other teams every week. I mean, his points against total is high, but it's, you know, mine's higher than his is and yours is significantly higher than his is. So it's, it's not that Karen's is higher than his, his, is. So his points against is kind of middle of the pack. I guess something just hasn't clicked. Cause when you look at the team, especially the pitching, I mean, the pitching is insane. It's probably one of the best pitching staffs ever accumulated in our league history in the post trading draft picks era. I mean, this team, I mean, you feel this, this is an all-star team, Musgrove, Wheeler, Darvish, the closers are Hayter and Kimbrell, Verlander, Cortez, who's, I mean, could be an ace on any staff in this league. Lazardo's coming back, who was great in the beginning of the year, Ian Anderson, Miles Mikolas. And then on top of that, Tristan McKenzie and Walker Bueller on the IL. I mean, crazy staff. I think, 
the pitching staff is not the issue. There is some holes in the offense. I'm sure you'll speak to in a sec, but the pitching man at any week, you could have multiple complete games and completely carry over the finish line. He's going to be really dangerous come the playoff time. And I would not be shocked to see him win out and make a run for potentially one of the top seeds. I think there's, there's, an argument made for that. But even if he gets in as one of the low seeds at like say six or five or something like that, he could de- he could dethrone any of these teams without fail. Like his team is that good. Yeah. I mean, running into him in the playoffs, regardless of what seed he will end up as is not going to be fun. Um, but I'm trying to pull up real quick. The actual page, you know, sometimes I send those like total stats I'm yeah. wondering. I'm wondering if it's worth his while to explore, like a little uh, pitching for offense exchange with somebody, because um, clearly, when you look at the pitching, that you know that's a million percent not the uh, weakness here. I wonder if the offense is weak enough where he might want to add to it. I mean, when you go position by position, there's no real obvious slots that stand out where you're like, oh, he's got to improve on that. He got Brandon uh, Lau back recently. He's going to get Mitch Hanniger back soon. Um, the interesting thing about that will mean that – actually, no, I was going to say that would mean he's going to have to maybe drop one of these pitchers, but that's not the case because it looks like he still has Devers, who's on the IL, in a utility spot. So he can just swap those guys once Hanniger yeah. comes up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe he's just in a situation now where he he is a little better than record says he is and it'll just if it clicks at the end that might be exactly what he wants yeah i have him at four that was how i ranked him i think he's better than a lot of teams and the like we mentioned with the offense i think the outfield is probably the issue i mean there's a high ceiling obviously for a guy like christian yelich he's hoping for a lot from like an adolis garcia who's Again, been 18th overall in points. He's been very, very good. Not the name value, but again, very good. And then Michael Harris Jr., he provides speed off the bench uh, when needed. Obviously, he's going to want to start somebody else in that spot, maybe put a Dulles in the center field spot when when Hanager comes back and when Lau gets healthy. I mean, I know he's he's there and he's just come back, but when he gets like sort of into a rhythm, Lau is one of those guys you, you know, set it and forget it. He's a guy yeah. that has been a very pivotal force in a lot of fantasy lives and the race. So I like his team a lot. And I was kind of shocked to see him at six because looking at someone who ranked and Lois was six, I I, I get, yeah. I mean, Nick ranked him at six and Karen ranked him at six. And so does Alicia. I just don't see six. I don't see him being the lower half of this playoff contenders. I think he's on the upper half. I don't think he's number one, but I think he's closer to one than, than six. I almost feel like, well, I lost you for a second. Yeah, just uh, it got a little scramble. I hear you now, though. Okay. Uh, I, to me, it's almost just more of a comment on how good the top six it is to kind of separate uh, the top six teams right now. Yeah, that's a good point. But I just see, I think his team's better than Greg's, and we'll talk about Greg's soon. Obviously, he's in the mix of these other teams. I just think what he did... Maybe I'm looking at what should happen. Maybe everyone else is looking at what has happened. I think he's more of, I think the pitching staff is going to be undeniable.
Are we getting scrambled over here? Yeah, you're in and out on mine, but I think it's Mike. I'm going to do a couple things here to mess with it. Uh, it's probably because you have windows open for the the Yahoo. Is that that might affect the Wi-Fi? Yeah, I just closed. I just closed it. Screw it. I'll look up on my phone instead. <laughs> yeah, some sometimes that happens for me as well. But um, if you guys missed it, I was just saying I, I think Bazada's not as highly ranked as he should, but he's sitting at six and nothing to sneeze at. It's a good spot to be. Like I said, he's about thirty points higher than those four bottom teams, so he's in that field. And I think any of these teams that are in this, this, the six teams could win the championship. And I don't think anyone would be like shocked at it. So, and I think more so than a lot of years, the top six teams are closer in competitiveness. And a lot of guys based on schedule, based on everything else that goes into it, there's a lot to be said about these records and Bizarre at eight and seven. I just, I don't, I can't see him being a 500 team. He's got to win this week against Karen coming up next week. I'm going to look at his schedule he has to go go out there and win the games he's supposed to. You know, playing Karen and playing Alicia, those are two wins you have to get. You should go into the matchup with the defending champion at 10 and 7. And then plays Travis. Anything can happen against him. Goes against Alicia again, should beat her, and then plays you in the last week of the season. He could be looking at finishing the season 12 and 8, you know, something like that. And I think that would be a fair, fair assessment of. Yeah, he could win the division, but that would take Perrier to fall down a little bit and lose some weeks in a row. But who knows? I think he's right there in the mix. Yeah, no, he, he's as dangerous as ever. Um, obviously, losing Devers uh, for a bit here hurts, but um, he'll be fine. I mean, looking at the stats, I have him up on my phone now. So he's seventh in runs. Uh, I'm not going to do every single category, but just a few. Uh, doubles, he's fourth. Homers, which is obviously one of the bigger categories here. He's fifth. So, I mean, you know, top half. RBIs, he's sixth. So, I mean, he's not like he's dead last in some of these bigger categories. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's like an obvious, like, oh, I have to make a trade. But, you know, maybe he looks to improve one offensive spot. But, again, probably have to move a pitcher to do that. And at this point of the season, I think a lot of people, like we said a few times, are hesitant to do that when they're headed to the playoffs. Yeah, I think he's willing to roll out there with the pitching and hope the offense gets hot because we've seen in the past in the last few weeks of the season where a guy like Brandon Lau could be your, the best player in the world. So I think he's probably willing to take the chance on that rather than roll the dice on a pitcher that wouldn't be as uh, reliable. So I, I agree with his strategy, but if the right moves out there, I mean, moving somebody else on that pitching set for someone, you know, I, I know when Devers comes back, these question marks go away. We don't know how long Devers is out for. So if Devers comes back, it's all he needs is the difference maker. You you move Machado back in that utility spot, and then you you roll out that lineup, and I think he could beat anybody. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, so moving on to these next two teams, I think uh, I'll let you take the lead here uh, for both. I mean, one's you, and <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we'll try to knock these it. knock these out at the same time, especially since we just played each other. Uh, so tied at fourth. Um, is myself and Greg, 36 points each, average rank of four. Um, Greg's highest rank was three and lowest was six. Um, my highest was two, lowest was five. Uh, he went up two spots, I went down three spots, which um, I'll talk about myself very quickly as far as, you know, what I think about being there. Um, I think that might be nicer than 
uh, people had to be for me. So I know I was at the top last time. Um, but since starting five and oh, I think I've gone four and six since then. Um, I've run into solid performances every week. I will say that. Um, I don't think my team has put up like really bad performances at any point, but I also haven't had those explosive weeks that a lot of the other top teams have had. So I feel like as far as explosiveness, I have a little less of that than some of the, the other top teams, like a Perry or like a Jimmy, uh, like a Greg. Um, that are putting up some crazy numbers at times. Um, I told you, I think we were texting back and forth about something uh, maybe yesterday or the day before. And the one part about, you know, even though some of my pitching is not performing as well as it's capable of recently, I still feel pretty good about it in the long run. I think some of these guys are going to get their shit together. Like Avaldi, we mentioned before um, first half of the season, he was great. Then he got hurt. He struggled a little bit since he's uh, come back, but today he looked good. Um, so the pitching, I think I'll be fine, honestly. The part that makes me nervous is the offense. Like, I got Sal Perez back, which is nice, and he's, he's hit a bunch of home runs since he's been back. Um, but I still kept Melendez on the roster because he's been really good. Um, Seager's been great recently. Thank God he came back. He was out for a few days. Uh, the stars I'm fine with. So the Sal Perez, Alonzo, Altuve, uh, Seager. I'm just trying to figure out the rest of the pieces like I've been ad dropping offense a ton lately which I don't usually like to do kind of like to save that for pitching but my pitching staff is so full that there's really no one I feel super comfortable dropping yet unless Lance Lynn continues to shit the bed um so that's what I'm looking for we've mentioned a few times like maybe someone will move pitching uh for offense I would probably be willing to do it and I've come actually relatively close um a couple times where talks were going and just never quite came to be. But if I make a move, that's what I expect it to be. It's just a a matter of finding someone who uh, I can partner with with that. So, I mean, I'm confident. I know I still should get in the playoffs unless I completely fall apart. Um, But definitely feel like in that top six, honestly, if I was to rank myself, I feel like I'm at the bottom of that six right now um, with how my team's constructed. So a little bit more worried than I've been all season. Um, Greg's team, man, I know you said you think he should be behind Bizzada. I ranked Greg number one last time. I was the only one to do it. And I, st- I didn't rank him one this time. I think I had him three. Um, maybe it's cause I just played him and Aaron judge absolutely destroyed me, but I just think with judge on his team and then eventually if, if trout can come back and good enough pitching, I still think he's not the best pitching staff, but I think it's good enough. I think that team's super dangerous. Like if you go against him when judge is having one of those weeks, the guy seems like he hits a home run every single day. If not two, that's tough to beat. Um, He put up 32.65 points against me this week or this week and a half judge. Then the next best guy in the entire league, not just our matchup was Matt Chapman, who I think had, I wrote it down. Let me see. I want to say 22, 22 22.8. Oh, no, Judge at 34.35. I'm sorry, not 32. Insane. I think the best guy on my team might have had like 16, 17. Um, And the other thing I'll comment on about my team very quickly as far as that matchup is Aaron Judge is his best player. He puts up 34 points, which, I mean, you don't expect 34 points even in a week and a half, but incredible. The best player on my team is is supposed to be Ronald Acuna. He's my first-round guy. In a week and a half matchup, he put 5.3 points up. I don't know what's wrong with this dude. I know he can't come back from a, a long, long injury, but like when I do watch him, I don't even feel like he has an idea at the plate. I feel like he's just swinging hard. Like 
a lot of these guys have been getting a lot of praise this year um, are guys like Alonzo who they're not necessarily swinging for the fences. Like they just have a good approach and the ball will go out sometimes because they're super strong. Like a, a Paul Goldschmidt too. Like that's why you see decent averages with a great home run number. I think Acuna is kind of getting left behind in these other guys are making an adjustment of putting the ball in play and Acuna is still doing the whole launch angle thing. Like just swing. He's a, I don't, I don't even understand why the Braves have him in the leadoff position. I know he's stealing some bases still, but I'm extremely disappointed in him. I'm going to need him to find himself if I want any chance at beating these other uh, top six teams. Yeah. And I'll give you the justification. I mean, you said a lot of great things about Greg's team and I think I agree with a lot of them, but what worries me most about the way his team's constructed, because at the end of the day, you don't care where the points come from, the points that you want the points from where they come from. But I believe for his offense and his pitching, both very top heavy. And when you're dependent on four players, I look at his team as Aaron judge, obviously the cream of the crop, the best offensive player, maybe in the past decade. I mean, the season he's having has been insane. On top of that, he has Austin Riley, who's crushing the ball as well. Uh, absolutely insane. Eighth overall in points and first overall. The rest of the offense is just kind of there. And I think there's guys on the team that can get hot anytime. Like Bobby Wood Jr. has his weeks where he gets hot and has been impressive, does everything, hits triples, steals bases, and gets on base, all that stuff. Uh, will hit home runs and, and bunches. He has 14 on the year, so he'll sometimes have a week where he has two or three or four. But the rest of the offense sort of leaves me wanting more, especially you mentioned Trout, who is down with his injury and who knows when he's coming back. It's a very serviceable offense, but if you take away Judge and Riley with any week in baseball, people can get cold. And I think if you rely on two players that much, things can go awry. But look at the point total. You would expect that eventually it has to wear out, and it hasn't for either player. They've both been absolutely stellar. Pitching-wise, I look at his pitching staff. I look at Corbin Burns, and I also – I look at uh, Adam Wainwright and I look a guy like Shane Baz right now is on the 60 IL. He was really relying on him, but those are the two guys. I mean, Bieber is sort of coming to his own where he's been pitching. Okay. Tony Gonsolin has his moments where he looks lights out. His closers are okay. I mean, I'll take Devin Williams who he's going to slide into a, obviously he's in a setup role right now, but maybe he's going to compete with uh, Rogers now that he's Rogers is over there and Rogers has his ups and downs as we've seen all year. Charlie Moore. I mean, there's some question marks there, but I think the top, the t- his top players, what might be the best players in the league, Corbin Burns, Aaron judge, Austin Riley, who's quickly emerging, by the way, Austin Riley is one of the best players in baseball that people never talk about. Uh, and I think he's replaced obviously playing third base, not first, but he's replaced Freddie Freeman as that inspirational leader. Obviously winning does all of that for a team and the comfortability that Austin Riley has in that market. He's like, he's built for this. And, the quote he had about deers and well, I don't know if you saw the quote that he had. I think Barstool <clears> posted it. Like all I do is hunt deers and hit dingers and I'm, you know, it's not deer season or something like that. Oh, I did see that. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, you know, he's everything Atlanta wants him to be. Um, I, I think he's amazing and I, and I don't get me wrong. I'm not shitting on Greg's team at all. I think he's well constructed and it's kudos to him that he, he had the foresight to take judge where he took him, where everyone kind of scoffed and said like, Oh, it's a Homer pick. No way judge lives up. Taking Judge in the second round looks like a genius play here. I mean, 43 home runs on the year. Hit another one tonight. When is it slowing down? I mean, we could talk historical reference, and you know, we we're talking about Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds and Roger Maris and Mark McGuire. He's in a stratosphere that no one's been in. Clean, mind you, hopefully. Uh, in 
years and years and years. This is a 1961 type of season that Billy Crystal made a movie over. Like this season we're seeing with Aaron Judge and contract dispute and all that stuff be damned. This season's going to live forever in a really big way, World Series or not. We're witnessing something special and it may inspire a generation of baseball fans that are going to the stadium right now that when we fell in love with the game, the Yankee, I, I fell in love with the game when the Yankees were winning back to back to back world series and being competitive. There's someone in the stands of the Yankee Sam is falling in love with baseball because they go out to see Aaron judge. And there's something electric about watching him at Yankee stadium this year. Uh, I can't put into words what he means to the franchise, what he means to baseball right now. It is just something different that hasn't happened in a long time. He is, I mean, it's just, it's an unbelievable performance. You expect it to fizzle out. You thought the all-star break would be like, all right, there's no way he's going to keep it up. He's just, he's entered the po the second half of the season and did, he's even stepped up his game. Oh yeah. It's, it's been unbelievable. Like I've watched these Yankee games in awe. I've never seen anything like this. I've been watching baseball for a very long time. The only time was Barry Bonds and I wasn't watching that on a daily basis because it wasn't, 2001 wasn't the time MLB TV was around. So I just saw the ESPN package of it. This is fuck, man. Like, I, like, I don't, I don't know how it could get better. Like he, this is, this is beyond what you could have ever expected from any player ever. This is, this is amazing. I'm very interested to see where his fantasy points fall at the end of the year. Um, if you compare it to last year. So last year's highest scorer was Vlad with about 247, um, 247 fantasy points. Judge is at 181 right now. Um, I think he beats it. I'm pretty sure, unless he like really slows down. Uh, how many? Do we know how many games are left? Well, right now, so 60. It's got to be like 54, 55 games left. How many games have been played? I'll pull it up quick. Just to have, because it's important at this point for the pace of how many games. So, right, 104 games have been played. So it's 58. Right, okay. there's 58 yeah. games left. Mm -hmm. Now, do all those games count in fantasy points? Because I know we finished the season a little before that. That's another. It's a tricky question. We don't think about it now. A, yeah, just, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, it's interesting to compare, and I guess we'll wait and see where he falls compared to that. It also shows how good Vlad was last year. Like, it's not like Judge is guaranteed to pass that as good of a year as he's having. That's how good Vlad was. Crazy. Yeah, and even that's... Ramirez and Goldschmidt are having crazy good years, and Freddie Freeman having a great year as well. They don't even they're 30 points away from where Judge yeah, is at this point. They're not close. It's it we're watching something remarkable. And just to kind of I guess give your feedback as someone who's watching from the outside looking in, you're not as close to the Yankees because you're not watching them on a daily basis. I'm sure you're hearing about it in New York, the New York market and the media. What's your feelings on this judge stuff? Are you okay? With everything going on with him, do you are you getting a sense of hatred for him, or are you are you rooting for him to to hit seventy? Um, I wouldn't say I'm outward like rooting for him. I'm not, I'm not like super pumped when I see him. He's hitting a home run. I'm also not mad about it. Uh, I like Aaron Judge as a player and as a, as a guy. I think he's a you know easy player to like, whether he's a Yankee or, or someone else. Uh, I love that he bet on himself and that he's kind of doing what he's doing so that i'm kind of middle of the road with aaron judge um i don't really have a reason to hate him uh at this point <laughs> so we'll see uh, until the yanks beat the mets in the subway series. oh yeah we'll see we'll see i mean you guys got two we'll give you a head start and then we get to the world series and we'll we'll take four straight just four all straight right. all right okay would you would it stress you the fuck out to have another subway series oh of could, course could you handle of course. your age right now uh <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I couldn't Rick, handle my age, by the way. I'm like uh, Ric Flair with the pacemaker. Sorry, dude. Karen, you won't even talk about that. I, was... I can't. My heart rate would go way too high, and I, I might not be able to watch. I watched that. I did not buy it, but I did watch it. Uh, so that was troubling, oh to say the God. least. That was troubling. Jesus, I actually thought I was joking about him dying. I feel like he almost did. He, dude, he passed out in the ring. That's terrible. That's so bad. How does anyway, someone let that go, shit go? Travis and Karen just turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward. Um, all right. Anyway, should we move on to number three? Yes. Number three here. And this person, the 24 points, a big jump from number four. 36 was the uh, was the fourth spot. That was tied with Greg and Devin. And this person was at 24, average rank of 2.6. Highest was two, lowest was four. These top three teams were absolutely, un- like they were who people felt were the three best teams. And that was interesting to me because I look at the the top six as sort of an equal playing ground, but the power rankings told a really different story. So this was Travis, the defending champion. He stayed in the exact same spot and Travis keeps on doing Travis things at this point. He's starting to build a pedigree of winning. Whereas he kind of had this chip on his shoulder uh, where he was unable to get over the hump in fantasy leagues. He seems to really broken stride here and figured out. We talk about identities and Nick trying to identify who he is. There's, I don't think anyone in the league that knows the type of team they want to have more so than Travis. He goes out there and he really nails on these guys that really fill the need he wants. I think his teams really identify with the way he wants to run his team and look at his pitching staff as well. Obviously Sandy leading the charge predominantly leading, leading the league for the national league Cy Young. There's no doubt about it at this point. Incredible. Nailing on the Carlos Rodon pick was huge for him. Obviously keeping Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole sort of turned it on uh, despite, you know, the sticky stuff struggles last year. Travis stayed true with Garrett Cole, despite being the first, the first round pick. He stayed, stayed loyal to Garrett Cole, but I just love what he did with his team. I mean, even Julio Rodriguez, who right now is on the IL. What else can you say about the way Travis drafted? I, I, I've, I've been so impressed with the way Travis manages his team. And he went from someone who was borderline not a baseball fan, went to be a casual baseball fan. Now he might be rivaling, rivaling being one of the most diehard fans I've ever, I know in my life right now. He watches so much baseball, consumes it at such a high level, and understands it too, to the point where he's really made a rhythm for himself where every single year he's going to be competitive no matter what, fills in the gaps where he has injuries. Someone goes in the IL, no problem, I'm going to figure it out. Travis has done such a wonderful job and the growth I've seen since the beginning of we started this league back in 2012. That was the first year he's been, the growth has been immense and you could tell he puts the work in and takes it very seriously. So I think cream of the crop, Travis has been amazing the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, Travis team, like you said, the draft, specifically the draft, how he drafted was, was real, real solid, especially the hardest thing to do is follow up a title and like kind of, keep consistent the next year. And he's, he's been in first pretty much all year long. I mean, hell of a race we have having the uh, Otter Pops division between he, Jimmy, and Greg, all at 10 and 5. Um, Trav's probably a little concerned with a few of the results the last few weeks. In the last three weeks, he's had two big matchups, one with Jimmy a few weeks back that he lost just by a little bit, and then uh, uh, the one with Perrier for a week and a half, which was one versus two. Uh, that he fell short in too. So like, I'm sure he's not happy about losing some of those bigger, more, you know, high profile matchups. But what I wonder with him is if you look at the top six, I think he's the only one in the top six 
that I don't think he's made any moves as far as trades go. Now, obviously, we said how well-constructed his team was from the get-go, so not exactly a surprise. But I wonder if he's feeling a little left out in that in that uh, category or if he's perfectly fine just uh, being status quo here. Um, I think Jimmy Jimmy's definitely made moves. Uh, as Greg's made a little bit of a move, too, I think, with the trade with you. Uh, Perrier definitely made moves. I, I made a move or two. And uh, Bazada as well. So yeah, he's the only one that I don't. I don't think he's made a move. Um, the Julio thing, man. He's got to hope that this is a short IL stint. That that to me is is huge. I feel like he's the heart of that team. Yeah, and you start to really get concerned where the Mariners have bigger things to play for, and they want to make sure Julio is ready for down the race. And if he's showing any sort of sign of not being ready, they're going to hold him out. And like you mentioned, Julio is a big part of Travis' team. It's not some young player who's playing well he's 21st overall in points he's actually yeah. been a huge part of his team um you know the mariners could not have expected this growth as well you want to look at it like on real tangible baseball results there's no way anyone expected him to be as good as he's been no way. so i mean travis did obviously he projected him to be at the spot he wanted so he held on to him and he was the discussion some trade deals but he held steady with julio and i know it sounds like i'm just like i'm just giving travis the barry harwitz treatment just slapping himself on the back but I've been just really impressed with what he's done. Yeah, I think if, if uh, Travis got to hope that this whole Matt Chapman breakout is for real. Um, it's funny because I saw, I think it was CBS Sports put out a like 10 players that are due for a second half breakout. And Matt Chapman was one of the guys on there. And so far it's been true. Um, if if that can happen for Trav, I mean, that's huge because that's kind of a, a spot, again, the third base spot that even he said he was looking for other options. So if he can keep it up and have a big second half, he's in good shape. And I'm sure he's waiting to see what's going to happen with J.D. JD Martinez and where he's going to end up. Um, if I were Travis, I'd, I would hope J.D. Martinez ends up going to someone like the Mets where he's surrounded by, you know, a solid, solid lineup and kind of can just jump in there and and just be part of the a cog in the machine instead of, you know, all this kind of weight on your back and all this pressure of being the guy. I don't have the points in front of me, but how close are Chapman and Yelich together now that Chapman's on that hot streak? Let's see. Chapman for the season has 112, 112 points. And um, Yelich, 121. Wow. I mean, there was a huge divide when that trade was made and Travis got ripped on, but he's like yeah. Nostradamus so far. And Bizzotta's the same. Bizzotta wins trades too. So that was a you know irresistible force, I mean, the immovable object. Both those guys win trades. So we'll see at the end of the year who has, who wins it out, but it seems like it worked out for both of them. That's the main thing. Because Bazada has Devers and now Machado. Third base is not an issue for him. No. So I think it helped out both teams. Agreed. All right, moving to number two. I guess I'll let you take, take the lead on this one. All right, number two is Jimmy uh, coming in at 19 points, so five better than Travis um, and six worse than the team that's going to be at number one. Uh, 2.1 is the average rank, highest rank number one, uh, lowest rank number four. And if I look at it, uh, five people actually put Jimmy at number one. So uh, pretty close here. Um, so, I mean, yeah, Jimmy's team, man, the points that this guy puts up, and it's been for two seasons now. Like he was points, the point champion last year, right? It's over my shoulder. I know that we're not doing the video. Oh, right. but I, have the, I have his trophy because Jimmy, we need you back on Long Island, man. We need you on, the, on Long Island for the draft. Take your trophy home. Yeah, he's, he's gonna win he's, it two years in a row now. If he has it a second year in a row, he's yeah, he's gonna have to come get it or something. Um, 
yeah, I look at his team and I don't see a whole lot of holes, especially offensively. I feel like he's just trying to find that last bench spot who he wants there to kind of play the utility position every once in a while. Justin Turner, then I think he made another move and dropped him. And so I think he's figuring that out. Um, Team's solid, man. Like pitching wise with Scherzer back, he's, I, oh, you know, Tariq Scoble left with an injury today. That's not good for him, but um, yeah, I mean, I can't poke many holes in his squad. I mean, getting Aaron Nola in a deal was nice for him. Um, I expect him to be in the thick of things in the playoffs. I mean, and like we said, anyone in that top six can come through and win a few matchups in a row. You just got to win three in a row or two in a row if you get a bye. Um, if Jimmy gets a bye, I, I think he's the leader in the clubhouse to uh, go win a title. I don't. I, I can't see him. I feel like he has a great chance of winning two weeks in a row. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, this lineup is insane. Offensively, might be the best offense in all the league. You go through all of it. Even like Max Muncy, who was the weak spot there. We, we mentioned third base. It's a tough spot to be. So Muncy, one of the top third basemen. He has not been good at all. Don't get me wrong. Batting mm-hmm. 161 on the year. But you have to just wait. Max Muncy's going to get hot. It hasn't happened yet. But that's scary for the rest of the league. And he may just be waiting for the playoff week in week 21 to go off. Or week 22 where Max Muncy finds his rhythm and stretches out 10 home runs and gets to his 20 overall you know so i think he has nine right now so if he can get to 2021 i think muncie would be healthy and you have to imagine he's going to get those home runs it's a matter of when i mean we'll also talk about jordan alvarez he came back from his injury and jimmy's so happy about that alvarez sitting at six overall in points trey is at five josh bell 25th staller Marte, who we all know is on the gas is on 42 um <laughs> Who there's a couple of injury issues with this team, but they sort of just came back, you know. Like Mullins was on the aisle for a bit, and then you also had Jordan Alvarez, who was hit with the ball, and then Star Marte had the hamstring thing on and off, but he just comes back. So his team sort of weathered the storm. And you mentioned the point total. Pitching wise, you meant like at, at any given time, you have Max Scherzer just go off and do his thing. Luis Garcia has been solid. Sonny Gray has been solid for. Uh, those bits and pieces. I mean, the last two starts has been pretty good. He has his stinkers, obviously, because Sonny Gray is kind of a head case at this point. But he could he could throw back the clock a little bit. And, of course, the reigning AL Cy Young pitcher, who's been really, really good his last two outings, not so much. But uh, the three before that, the four or five before, the, before that, Robbie Ray has been stellar. So I think Robbie Ray is more of that pitcher that we saw in the beginning of July, end of June, than we've seen in the, at the end of July. So, And, again, Seattle's going to be playing a lot of competitive games. They've added to that staff, which is only going to help. And Robbie Ray is not going to be relied on as, as heavily now that Luis Castillo is there. So maybe they go to a six man rotation and he gets less starts, but you know, that's sort of, you know, splitting hairs at this point, we're going to be, you know, start talking about that stuff. You just set, set these guys up when they're ready to pitch. And I think Jimmy's team has just as big of a chance to win a championship as anybody. I ranked him number one, full transparency. I think I can't remember if I had him. Did I have him one as well? I think you I did. Have, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went back and forth with, um, top two for a while but i did it was interesting because everybody one. had either perrier or jimmy and right. that's very you know i mean i know we're moving at the end of the season but the teams are so close at this point it's interesting to me that everybody unanimously and obviously no one sees this list until it gets together everyone thought these two teams were the top two teams another team with another thing with jimmy's team is jose barrios when he made that trade with you um, I was one person who questioned, like, oh, Barrios, I don't know. Do you really, is that really the guy you want here? Um, he had two terrible outings in a row at the end of June 
where he had a negative 2.05 and a negative three. Um, and since then, he's kind of righted the ship where he's gone between five and seven innings each time out, um, struck out at least, well, most, most starts at least six or more, even had a 13 strikeout game in there. Um, and he's picked up a few wins and quality starts. So he looks like, I mean, if, if he can get that out of Barrios and not have to kind of worry about the good Jose Barrios and the bad uh, Barrios, um, that's good. The, the Scooble thing hurts because Scooble's been very good recently. And if this is a legit injury, that gives him a little bit of a hole in the rotation compared to some of the other top six teams. But again, that that's just kind of nitpicking here. Um, I think Jimmy's done trading when I look at his team. Another 30-point night tonight, 33.95 points on Monday. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, anything but a championship for him this year has to be disappointing because yeah, the point title that's sitting on my shoulder right now, he's the reigning defending Howard's Cup champion. He doesn't want that. He wants a championship for the first time in the league, and his team might be the most well-rounded in his league history to break that snide. So first step is getting that division title from Travis's hands, and it's going to be a tight race. The next two weeks are going to be very, very telling. So well, Jimmy how, has how a tough match against Barrier this week. I was going to say how convenient that number one and two in the power rankings are matching up this week. And Jimmy's off to quite the lead kicking Perrier when he's down and sick, uh, 33.9, <laughs> 33. 33.95 to 3.9 right now. I know it's early, but I'm sure yeah, not, that's uh, tough to overcome though. When you, when you go down yeah. 30 points on a Monday, it's tough. Yeah. It's not ideal. Well, speaking of the number one, you kind of, uh, bury the lead here, but we're going to talk about it. It's Perrier, a 13 overall points. I mean, this is as good as it gets, really. I mean, you can get total of nine, so 13 total points. Average rank of 1.4, highest was one, lowest was two. He went up three spots here. Perrier's team, I mean, you can control C, control V, what we said about all these other good teams. He is well-equipped. He's the first team to clinch a playoff spot offensively carried by the likes of Paul Goldsmith, who's having a great season. And on top of that, Jose Ramirez, who's continuing to do a great, uh, a great justice to the season he had before that. Jose Ramirez is a quiet undersung hero uh, in all fantasy baseball. I don't think anyone talks about him enough because everyone gets stuck in that season where he stunk up the joint and was horrendous. That's the one outlier season that he had. Marcus Semien's really turned it around. Think about where we were weeks ago talk about how Marcus Semien was a bad free agent sign. I wasn't there, but everybody was there as far as like the, the baseball media, how Marcus Semien lost it. He's not the same player. Well, guess what? He's sitting at uh, 26 overall points has 14 home runs, 49 RBIs and raised the average up to 249 and one or 241. He was at one point batting at like 115, something like that. So he's really turned around, got really hot. And we've been saying in Texas, they hit home runs in bunches when you're in that, that spot, it gets, it's 98 degrees there. Sometimes the ball just flies out. And being in the lineup of Corey Seager, who's been pretty much healthy all year, is going to eventually pay dividends. Mookie Betts has been incredible when he's on the field. And Mookie Betts missed a significant amount of time uh, at the end of June, I believe. So he had that extended injury stint. But he's been very, very good. People don't talk about him because of how good Judge has been. But in another world, Mookie Betts and Jose Ramirez could all be vying for an AL MVP spot. Um, or I, I should say... Not no Mookie Betts is obviously not in the AL, but Mookie Betts could be an MVP in any other any other year when you're talking about all these other players. Mookie Betts has been absolutely incredible. Uh 23 home runs, and he missed a full month too. That people forget about that. Uh 
troubling news for Trevor Story with him. I know that Trevor Story was doing some big things for him, seeing the hand specialist. Maybe he's missing more time. He has a hairline fracture in the wrist. So who knows when he comes back? 66 overall in points. He was another guy who started off slow, and people thought, uh, well, he's lost it. He's another Jason Bay going to the Mets. But now Trevor Story turned it around. Um, and then pitching-wise, I mean, I think maybe some of the issue is pitching. I love Logan Gilbert. I love Manoa. Brandon Woodruff was a great get for him. Pablo Lopez, if he goes to a contender, that would be huge if he goes to the Dodgers because he'll get more run support. I think the pitching staff leaves some to be desired. I mean, Frankie Montes was just acquired in a trade, so he kind of stirs that up a bit. There's more question marks on the pitching side than I probably would like for a number one team, but offensively, I mean, I, I can't. Proof is in the pudding at this point. He's scoring 137 points a week. He's undoubtedly a one or one of the best teams in the league, one or two, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. If you want to poke holes here, you can't be in the offense. I mean, obviously the Trevor Story and Stan injuries hurt a little bit. It makes your utility spots a little weaker. Um, but I do wonder if he's having a little bit of buyer's remorse with the Stanton deal, uh, whether he'd like to have that one back. But, uh, I mean, if Stanton comes back and starts mashing the ball, you know, you forget about that quickly. But, yeah, I'm with you. The Almost like a top-heavy kind of thing, like we mentioned with another team before, where you know, the top of the pitching is real nice with a guy like, you know, Manoa. You know, Woodruff has been more himself, I believe, since he's been back from his IL stint. Um, Martin Perez is a guy that every time I click on his name, I expect to see that he started to come and come back down to earth. And every time it's seven innings, one run, six Ks. It's like, wait, this guy, I guess he's just found it. Um, but, yeah, when you see that he's rostering some guys like Domingo Herman, like a, um, Jacob Junis, uh, a raw stripling that makes you feel like, all right, maybe, maybe the pitching staff's a little, little top heavy. Um, but, uh, you know, right now, Frankie Montes, he had to NA him while the trade kind of gets put through. Um, so that's another piece in there. I wonder if he gets anything out of Chris sales, Chris sale done. Do we know? I, I, I like Hopefully. when you talk about Chris sale. So then I just talk about Chris sale for a second. Well, Chris Sale, um, so he's a grown adult who throws temper tantrums about the most inane things. So guess what? You got blown up in AAA, and then you decide to destroy their locker room. Oh, cool. You got them fucking iPads. Awesome job, dude. You were a great example for these young players that are trying to understand what it's like to be a major leaguer. And all 120 pounds of you, six foot four, throwing around your weight, not that much of it, by the way, in the locker room, just absolutely embarrassing. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, it shouldn't shock you because he did the whole thing cutting up jerseys because he didn't like the third jersey. I mean, how would he feel about the Colorado Rockies jerseys? Those are disgusting. You see Charlie Blackman throwing throwing a fit about them? No, because he's an adult. Chris Sale, you're a child. And I hope you're listening. I know you are. I know you, you're you one of those people because there's like 75 people listening to this podcast that aren't in the league. I don't know who you are, but I know you're one of them. And I have to say, I'm very disappointed in your behavior and I think you need to be held accountable. Like You can't just buy your way out of this sort of morality you're sitting there and you are at this point you're a major leaguer that should understand there's ups and downs baseball is one of those things that ebbs and flows you talk about adam wainwright has this idea of you know what i'm just gonna weather the storm no chris sale no he has to cry about it and throw a temper tantrum and guess what everyone's cool with it with this abusive cycle i'm just gonna buy you an ipad when i when i throw a fit and destroy the house very cool is that what you want to teach your kids chris sale how to behave you want them to destroy the house and they just buy people things to make them feel better. No, you can't erase what you did. You're a piece of shit. And you know what? Eat a cheeseburger, bro. 
All right. I think that's a good way to wrap the rankings. Um, uh, just just for the other thing, I want to talk about the NL MVP yeah, yeah, race, which is closer than you probably would have imagined. Um, Paul Goldschmidt would probably be the number one, I guess, spot. Trey Turner's in the mix. Freddie Freeman's in the mix. Mookie Betts is up there as well, but it's funny that the Dodgers, I mean, it's not funny at this point because the Dodgers are just what it's what you expect at this point. Dodgers have three of the top 10 players potentially that can win the National League MVP, and they're looking to add Juan Soto. So, uh, insanity. But you're right. I, I think, think it's, yeah, I think it's gold for me. It's Goldschmidt right now. I think that team without without him is is close to nothing. Uh, he's been unreal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say about Paul Goldschmidt. Then you know that deal looked it looked like he was going to go to pasture to St. Louis and just kind of be a legacy player. And remember when he was really good, he's just sort of leading the team by example, much like not Chris Sale, doing the right thing, making the right decisions, and. This is the best season. This might be the best 30, 34 plus year old season in the history of baseball. Like he's really turned it around. It looked like he was on the tail end, but maybe not so much anymore. I think people are starting to change their tune about what Paul Goldsmith's able to do. And he's one of the reasons the Cardinals are where they are. Let's be honest oh, about it. He's basically the reason. He's, so, he's been ridiculous. And to think about when they acquired him and he was not as good and people started to, to question was it the right decision to trade for him? I don't remember what they gave up for him. Was he a trader? Was he a trader? Was he a uh, a free agent? I think he was a trade. Goldschmidt was, I'm pretty sure, a tra- like a sign and trade or something. Hold on, I'm pulling it um, up too. Let me get the details here. All right, so I mean, at this point, 2018, we should know kind of the fruits of what was bearing in like the young players. So, fuck, man, sucks to the Dimebacks. Luke Weaver. Carson oh, right. Kelly and Andy right, Young. Right. That's that's disgusting. Come on. Come on. Luke Weaver was just deal to, uh, dealt today. I know. And no one's thought about him in two years. That's terrible. Wow. That's what I'm saying, man. Like these prospects, Weaver wasn't even a prospect at the point. He had pitched in the majors for like a year, if I could, if I remember correctly. But like you don't know what any of these guys are. Like you don't like if you're gonna get a proven player who's not like you know, he's, he's plenty of time left in his career. I don't care how high, high these prospects are. Like they're a complete unknown and the majority of them don't end up being much at all or like a middle tier player. So if you can get a star that's still young for prospects, I know we get attached to these guys sometimes, but to me, that's yeah, a no brainer. No, when you look at some of these players and like, it's very revealing down the line. Like we look at the James Shields deal, deal, which is the most famous one with Fernando Tatis Jr. in that deal. And of course you'd never pull the trigger on, but at some point these guys are lotto tickets. You have to understand if you have the chance to win a championship that lasts forever. And I'm sure the Diamondbacks probably had high hopes for Luke Weaver and Carson (laughs) Kelly and Andy Young, and they wanted them to be, these transcendent players. And there are times where they hit. Sometimes you make the wrong move in the trade, but a lot of the times you, like you said, you have to take the risk and go for the established play because a lot of times the ceiling is what you want them to be. Like all these, all this talk about, we don't want to give it too much for Juan Soto. Why? We know what Juan Soto is at 23 years old. You know exactly what he is. You, what you don't know is what Jason Dominguez will be. Jason Dominguez may not be able to hit a curveball, but we know Juan Soto can hit a curveball. That's for sure. Yeah. So anyway, fucking uh, Chris Sale, you know, 
So I know we're two hours in here. I got to go to bed, but I had a few buyer cells. Could we do like a turbo, like yeah, ultra absolutely. quick, like short? All right. So I'm going to give you I have five statements here. Just give me a buyer cell and maybe like a very quick, uh, you know, addendum to each. But all right. So the first one here, we just mentioned them. Buyer cell, uh, Juan Soto will be traded before tomorrow's deadline. Sell. Okay. Um, I know. So this one's interesting. I wrote this one yesterday before. Uh, they said that it's not going to happen. But if the Angels had not come out and said that Otani's not going to be traded, uh, buy or sell, Shohei Otani would command a bigger return than Soto in a deal. Sell, I think, probably equal, if anything. Equal. The only reason I say that, and I, I'm not, I'm not even saying I'm buying or selling, but is because he he does both. I think you know, Soto sets the market, and then the Angels would want something, but they would shoot higher. But they're not going to only because Soto has more control. Right. Interesting. And I think okay. Shohei, if he's traded today, today, he would be worth more than if he's traded this time next year, obviously. Gotcha. All right. Um, third one, buy or sell. Jacob DeGrom will make it through the remainder of the season without any IL stints. Buy it. God, I hope so. All right. Thank you. <laughs> uh, two more. Um, th this one, again, I wrote this one before today's trades, but we can still go with it. Uh, buy or sell, the Yankees are not as good as their record would suggest. Sell. They have something magic brewing there. Their even run difference the, was insane. Even though the AL, the competition, is clearly a little lighter? Uh, for sure. But I just think that, I mean, they've played up to their competition. They've played really well against really good teams. So not worried about the results against, like, the Astros and the two games with the Mets? Of course. Yeah, there's worry there. But I, I think they're they're as good as their record says. I just think that... Comparing them to teams that had the same record back a couple years ago, I don't know. It's a complicated question because I think that there is, like I mentioned, seventy-five percent of the teams, or sixty-five, I would say, that's a fair number, are not being as fully competitive as they want to be. So that by proxy, the better teams are going to look more inflated, right? So I guess by, uh, it's, I would say then. Don't waver. Don't wait. Go with your initial gut All right, feeling. So I, Buy I or think sell that, is a gut question. That's a gut feeling question. All right. I, I think they're as good as their record is because they're special. I think they would beat any team on any given day. I just think they could beat any team. They're that good. Okay. Um, last one. Um, so with all the deals that went down today, other than Soto or, or Otani, uh, with who's left, J Buy or sell, J.D. Martinez would be the biggest prize on the trade market remaining. Depending, uh, yeah, I would say so because he has pedigree where he's won before and he's showed up in big spots. He's a veteran bat. I think he could be the big, he could be a difference maker for the Mets if they can get their hands on him. All right. That's all I got. For you, you think it takes Alvarez to get him? No, not for JD Martinez. I, I think if that's the price, I don't think they do it. Uh, I think they'd give up Alvarez and more for Soto, which I think they should, but. I don't think they should give it up for J.D. Martinez, uh, personally. I think you could go in other directions to kind of uh, get another decent bat and replace, you know, J.D. Davis, Dom Smith. All right. Well, here's a – it's not a buy or sell for you, but what would you say percentage chance that Stevie Cohen offers the most money for Aaron Judge in free agency? Oh, man. Can you imagine him being – this would be the biggest swoop of all time for him to swoop in and get him in Mets orange and blue. I hate it, but I could see Stevie Cohen be like, you know what? Give him $55 million a year. I think he's more interested in Otani after next year. Uh, you got to remember Billy Epler's there. Um, so keeping that in mind, and you already have 
the Lindor contract, uh, the Scherzer contract. You might have to pay Degrom if you decide to keep him here. Uh, you're gonna have to pay Pete at some point. So I will say there's only like a 20% chance that he he uh, he does that. Would you live in a world where say Mets sign Judge long term, 10 years, but you have to live with the Yankees signing Degrom, and they're both equally oh, as good. Oh man. <laughs> No, I'd rather keep my guy. If he, if he's gonna be like you said, if they're as good as they're capable of being, uh, no, I gotta keep my. It guy. would kill you to watch the Grom. Well, he yeah. throw a no he throw a no hitter in perfect game for the Yankees. Just absolutely, like absolutely, yeah, a hundred percent. No, yep. I, I'd have to keep my guy. Oh man, the best is the Don Lagreca ran about the all time Mets. Have oh, you heard that? that one? No, the oh, last dude, it, dude, it is the best rant of all time. Was yeah. it recent or old? Uh, it's old. It's talking about forever players, and he talks about Ed Cranepool being the forever Met. Yeah, I don't. I don't Ed know if I've ever heard that one. Cranepool. I'm gonna. I'm gonna send it in the chat. You have to watch it and watch All it in right. full. Put some I, headphones in so you can experience it. He loses his mind. I watched the last one you guys sent, which I found hilarious. Where the guy, the caller is just killing him and telling him he wouldn't be anything without Michael K. Uh, and he good. ends up just mentioning his hair at the end of the rant, which I I laughed my ass off at that one. Don Lagreca's quality. I mean, he does a great. Uh, job with the play-by-play of the Rangers on ESPN radio. If you're ever in the car, listen to some hockey. He does a great job. And under it, I mean, ESPN radio, you want to talk about sports radio. They've really gotten to a point where I, I listen to Michael K show over the Carton Roberts bullshit that goes on there. It's hard yeah, to listen to. I haven't listened. Usually I'm only listening to sports radio, like on the way back uh, like from the train station that since I'm off for the summer, I haven't done it in a while, but I'm typically on WFAN, but there are a lot of times where Carton and Roberts go so far off sports that I just have to fucking flip over to ESPN and uh, listen to them for a little while. What's even more troubling is when you listen to the morning show, those guys don't watch the games like Al Dukes and, and Jerry Racco. They don't, they admittedly don't watch the game. So how are you doing a radio show? I know. Cause know. they gotta be up at like 4 AM to be in the studio. Cause they're doing the 6 AM show. So I get it, but also, how do you give a, an opinion on something you're reading about in the newspaper? It's embarrassing. I know. I agree. Anyway, well, I appreciate you guys listening to this. I know it went long, but I know you're waiting for it. Uh, we'll be back next week. Why well, will, depending on who my guest is. Devin, I want to thank you for joining me. We'll be back week 20 with the next power rankings. We'll see how much changes. I'm not sure if the bottom teams change, but the top made you do a lot of changing. So, Devin, we'll see you later. Everybody else, catch you. Have a good rest of your week. Big week. Set your goddamn lineups. You only let four guys in the IL, by the way. If you do it, I'm coming for you. I got my I got my sunglasses on. I got the siren wailing. I got my people looking out. So make sure, put the right guys in the IL. Do the right thing. All right, guys, we'll catch you next week.